on Let's Go. It's Saturday, April 23rd, 2022. How are you guys doing this weekend? It is BK here, of course, one more week in a row. Still here, still going two and a half hours, no breaks, no editing. The only guy who can do it, the Steel Trap Mind, stands alone at the top. Please follow me on Twitter for breaking news at Bravo Kilo Actual. You can check out my Instagram and DM me at both of those uh, at BK Actual. As we go ahead and get started here, about 8 a.m. here in San Diego, coming out of you a little bit early. So why don't we get into it and uh, breaking this morning, let's start in Japan. A tour boat with 26 people aboard has gone missing with no signs of survivors. Um, yeah, this was, uh, it, it does include two children. It has been missing off northern Japan for a couple of hours, and it is a 19-ton ship. It did make an emergency distress call. It was saying in the call that the bow of the vessel had been flooded and was beginning to sink and tilt. The crew also said those on board were wearing life jackets and that the boat was keeling at a 30-degree angle. This boat was traveling off the western coast of Shiretoko Peninsula, if you know the area, in the northern island of Hokkaido. There has been no contact from the boat since. Um, six patrol boats, divers, aircraft have already been sent to the area to search for survivors. They did see high waves and strong winds in that area, according to some local fishermen. As a matter of fact, the fishing boats had returned to port before noon because of the bad weather. And there was a warning for waves up to three meters or nearly 10 feet high. Um, one expert said that the boat was likely to have run aground after it was thrown around by the high waves, then damaged and flooded before probably sinking. Oh, here's a little wrinkle. That same expert also said that there was a small chance that the boat might have been hit by a whale. Hmm. I'm probably going to go with the 10 feet high waves rather than the whale. But so far, the search is still ongoing. Like I said, that was just coming out early this morning, West Coast time. So I'll watch for that one. Uh, let's go on to some violence and start with Somalia. A bomb blast by Somalia's ex Islamic extremist rebels hit a popular seaside restaurant in the capital of Mogadishu. That killed at least six people. That explosion occurred Friday evening, last night their time, when many patrons gathered for an iftar meal, of course, to break the fast of Ramadan. That restaurant, by the way, is very popular with government officials. Although, hmm, interesting, ABC News writes, those killed were mostly civilians, but that's all they say about it. They did say the blast has caused huge damage, and yes, Somalia's Al-Shabaab has claimed responsibility for the explosion, and so far that's all we know on that. So let's go to something that maybe we do have a little detail on and go to Afghanistan where an explosion at a Sufi mosque in northern Afghanistan on Friday killed more than 30 people and wounded dozens of others. This is a bloody week in Afghanistan. This particular blast was at the Kanaka-e-Malawi-Sikander Mosque in Kunduz province near the country's border with Tajikistan. And it was the fourth major attack in Afghanistan in four days. And uh, this is uh, freaking people out thinking that the country may be headed into a violent spring. Nobody has yet claimed responsibility 
for the mosque one. I just uh, was checking before I started recording and I haven't seen anything else. But you you do have some videos floating around. I'm looking at one right now on the New York Times website and you can see like the whole wall is gone and fucking carpets covered in blood. The chief spokesman of the Taliban said that 33 people had been killed, children among them. They think the death toll is going to climb. And this is, like I said, a particularly bloody week in Afghanistan. These kinds of attacks had been kind of rare since last August when the Taliban took control. But yeah, this week it's been going off. Um, Tuesday, there were several explosions outside an education center and a public high school in the capital of Kabul. That killed at least six people and wounded 11. Those attacks targeted an area of the city that is home to a large Hazara community. You guys have probably heard that name. That's the ethnic minority, and they're prominently Shiite. Nobody claimed responsibility for that one either. And then two days later, another explosion hit a Shiite mosque in Mazar al-Sharif. That killed at least 10 people, wounded more than two dozen. And right around the same time, another explosion targeted a minibus in Kunduz, about 100 miles to the east. That killed at least four people and wounded 18. Now, those last two were claimed... That was claimed, uh, the bus one and the Shiite mosque one in Mazari Sharif. Those bombs were claimed by ISIS in Afghanistan, which, if you didn't know, is the Islamic State Khorasan, or ISIS-K. They consider Shiites heretics, and they did claim responsibility for both of those. So now the Taliban, remember, came to power saying, hey, it's peacetime. The Americans are gone. We have nobody left to fight. And they insisted that they would provide security. But now we see that the blasts go on. And remember that big one back in August when, you know, all those hundreds of people were killed, including 13 uh, U.S. soldiers, Marines and corpsmen. Um, that was also claimed by ISIS-K, and they wanted to demonstrate their ability to strike deep inside the capital. And it seems that they are still doing so. So what else about this? Yeah, I'd have a few tabs open. Is there anything more about I want to see the school explosions in Kabul. And more than a dozen people were wounded in that one. Do we have any uh, update on that? Well, they do think the casualty counts, counts could be higher. Um, and this is reminding people of the... Same area, I, I, I vaguely remember this one. Last year, you guys remember those bombs that were set off, set off outside that girls' school that killed at least 90 people, most of them teenage girls leaving class? Well, that was in the same neighborhood as this latest one that happened on Tuesday that killed at least six people. Um, and this is the Dasht-e-Barachai neighborhood of Kabul. And again, it's a Shiite neighborhood. Taliban did hit it before. Other militant groups hit it before. So, uh, yeah, kind of the same neighborhood there. This one was at the Mumtaz Educational Center, which is a private facility offering tutoring for boys and girls studying for the nationwide university entrance exam. And then around three hours later... It was the local high school, the Abdul Rahim Shahid High School, and that was hit by at least three explosions. Thousands of students attend 
that high school, which is a public high school, and it is among the largest in the western part of Kabul. So they are describing those schools as just completely fucking annihilated. Um, the one witness, this is the principal actually, he was standing about 20 yards away from the school's gate when the first explosion occurred. He says he thinks it was an embedded mine that exploded. And then two minutes later, somebody threw a grenade and another explosion happened. Fucking just chaos over there. Yep. Afghanistan, man. They're in for a hard time, those people. Let's go to South Korea and talk about South Korea's departing president, Moon Jae-in. If you guys have been listening, you know he's being replaced. Well, he was in the news because he met up with the North Korean leader, Kim Jong-un. And, you know, of course, they've been dealing with each other for several years now. Uh, Moon is 69 years old. He's barred by law from seeking re-election. He will step down on May 10th after his single five-year term. So he met up with um, Kim Jong-un to uh, exchange a letter. And according to his staff, in that letter he sent to Kim, he urged him to use, quote, dialogue to overcome the era of confrontation, end quote. And he was talking about the divided Korean peninsula. He was also urging Kim to resume dialogue with the United States to try and end all this tension that's been caused by North Korea's nuclear weapons development. Um, So he, Moon, said he would soon return to life as an ordinary citizen, but that he will dedicate his efforts to building peace between the two Koreas. Uh, Kim Jong-un, if you didn't know, you know how old he is? He's 38. And uh, being a dictator, he will likely rule North Korea until his death, barring some kind of coup or, um, I don't know, some fucking kind of switchblade drone accidentally coming through his window. Remember, the Koreas are still technically at war since the fighting between the two sides ended in 1953 because they did not sign a formal peace treaty, but a truce. And uh, Moon took office in 2017, and that's when... Uh, North Korea was testing a hydrogen bomb, launching ICBMs, intercontinental ballistic missiles, um, and then President Donald Trump threatened to, quote, rain fire and fury on the North, end quote. And then the two leaders exchanged personal insults. You guys remember that? When uh, Trump called uh, Kim Jong-un little rocket man, and then Kim Jong-un fired back at the, quote, U.S. dotard, end quote. Remember, dotard was a popular insult on Twitter for quite some time. But then Moon and Kim met three times in 2018, famously, of course, at the demilitarized zone right there. And, uh, yeah, so North Korea still around. He's still resuming his uh, weapons tests, at least one involving an ICBM just last month. He has not liked North Korea, uh, South Korea. He called Mr. Moon's government... Uh, quote, officious, an idiot, and a feared mongrel dog, end quote. Mongrel dog's a good one. Moon's critics called him a naive pacifist who had bet too much on Mr. Kim, but Moon had diehard supporters for his approach. His approval ratings hovered around 44% this month. That is an unusually high record for a departing South Korean leader. So very good. And speaking of South Korea, more news. 
South Korea's Supreme Court has issued a landmark ruling on gay sex. Yep. This is a ruling against the military's decade-old ban on homosexual activities. And this happened on Thursday because they struck down guilty verdicts for two male soldiers who were indicted on a charge of having consensual sex while off their base. Um, South Korea's Military Criminal Act currently calls for up to two years in prison for, quote, anal intercourse or other indecent acts, end quote. So right up until now, soldiers engaged in such activities had been punished under that law, regardless of whether there was mutual consent or where the conduct took place. Rights groups have long condemned this law, saying it permits a witch hunt against gay soldiers. Um, so in this ruling, the Supreme Court of South Korea said that the law should not apply to consensual sex away from a military setting. So these two accused men, one was a first lieutenant and the other was a master sergeant. Hmm. Little fucking fraternization right there. Maybe they don't frown on it like we do. If you didn't know, uh, in, the, in the U.S. military, it is uh, problematic for an officer to have a personal relationship with an enlisted. Uh, of course, people get married and things like that, but it, generally it's, it's not, especially if you're in like the same office. Anyway, um... So they were, these two guys were found to have sex in a private house during off-duty hours in 2016. So lower military courts sentenced the lieutenant to four months in jail and the sergeant to three months in jail. Those sentences were suspended. Of course, the LGBTI hmm, people in South Korea were celebrating. That's what they, that's what they, some spokesman for Amnesty International said, LGBTI. I'm not familiar with the I. I haven't seen that before. What's that? Lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, transgender, incel? No, can't be incel. Probably something else. Um, so anyway, they were looking at this, and they urged, the human rights people, urged the country's constitutional court to follow up by ruling that the military code that outlaws gay sex is unconstitutional. The court has ruled this law constitutional three times since 2002. So the South Korean military did not have any uh, comment, but they did say they wanted to root out illegal homosexual activities and protect morale and discipline among soldiers. Uh, these two soldiers were among a score of gay soldiers rounded up in 2017 on the suspicion of having same-sex relationships. Uh, last year, this made news, a transgender woman who had been expelled by the military after her gender reassignment surgery ended up killing herself while campaigning to be reinstated. Uh, in South Korea, as far as society-wide, same-sex marriage is not recognized, and the rights of sexual minorities are largely taboo and a politically unpopular subject. And in recent years, Christian groups in South Korea have intensified a campaign against homosexuality and they have argued that sex among gay soldiers would spread AIDS in the South Korean military and undermine its readiness to fight North Korea. I think we, AIDS is pretty much done, isn't it? I mean, don't we, we have pretty much all the, uh, all the preparatory drugs you need to keep yourself safe from that. So I don't think that's going to happen. Let's go to the UK, the United Kingdom. And talk about WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange. 
He's back in the news because a London court this week ordered the extradition of WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange to the United States. Remember, he's been fighting this now for years. So this order, remember, Assange is being sought by the United States in connection with charges under the Espionage Act, must be signed by the British Home Secretary, Priti Patel. So Assange has four weeks to appeal to her directly, and he also has the right to take his case to the English High Court after she issues her decision. So he's got like two cracks at this. So this was during a hearing, this decision that saw Assange dialing in by video call from prison in London. Um, this follows Britain's Supreme Court ruling last month that Assange could not appeal an earlier decision that paved the way for his extradition. So this bounced the decision back to the Westminster Magistrates Court. They made a decision on Wednesday. Uh, yeah, so let's back up a little bit. Assange was charged in the United States under the Espionage Act in connection with obtaining and then publishing the classified government documents about the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq on WikiLeaks in 2010. Those files were leaked to him by Chelsea Manning, the former military intelligence analyst. So he then fled the country, basically. Remember, he was in, what was that, the Nicaraguan or Honduras embassy? I can't remember which one exactly, but he was there in London at that embassy for years, and then they finally kicked him out, and then the Brits um, picked him up. Yeah, here it is. He, yeah, seven years in the Ecuadorian embassy. And then once they fucking got sick of him, they basically booted him out, and then he was arrested quickly in London in 2019. And he's been under their custody ever since. So, yeah, this, is, this has been going on. Fuck, this feels like it's been going on forever. Obviously, his defenders are seeking to present this case as a matter of press freedom, and his extradition to the U.S. could raise major issues about First Amendment rights. Um, so, yeah, he, he hasn't had much luck or much support among the press. And these were classified documents, so it's, it's very tricky. Like, it's a fine line between whistleblowing and um, sharing shit that you're not supposed to. I get it. Let's go to... Malaysia, and six Rohingya refugees were killed fleeing a detention center there. Uh, remember, these are you know refugees. Of course, you guys have heard me talk about the Rohingya off and on. They are the the minority Muslim minority group from Burma or Myanmar, I should say. Burma, of course, is the old name. Well, they've been fleeing a lot of them to Malaysia. And these six, it was four adults and two children, were killed when they were struck by a car crossing a highway. Uh, so, yeah, this actually came because hundreds of refugees fled this detention center. They just wanted to get out of there. A total of 528 detainees escaped from the facility in the northern Malaysian state of Penang after riots, that's what the officials call them, occurred around 4 a.m. Since then, 362 of the 528 have been arrested and they're searching for the others. Um, so, just a 
quick recap. In 2017, the Rohingya faced mass rape and the burnings of villages, drownings at the hands of Myanmar's security forces. And then the U.S. said in March that the atrocities did amount to genocide. The U.N. has called it ethnic cleansing. More than 9,000 people were killed and nearly 1 million fled the country. And many of them did seek refuge in Malaysia, which is a predominantly Muslim country. And in Kuala Lumpur, the capital of Malaysia, the Rohingya have managed to like kind of have like neighborhoods where it's majority them, so they have camaraderie and shit like that. But since 2020, now the Malaysian government has taken a more hardline approach with them, citing the coronavirus. <laughs> and, you know, it, every country around the world is exactly the same. They don't want, they're willing to extend a hand to. A, a certain amount of refugees. They don't want hundreds of thousands or millions of them. No countries, all countries on the planet are like that. But this government has prosecuted a lot of Rohingya for entering the country without a valid, valid immigration pass, sentencing them to jail. Oh, and meeting out, they give out caning over there. You guys remember that? They swat the cane at you. So they have hundreds and hundreds of Rohingya detained in these centers. And it's not just Malaysia. In recent years, uh, um, Myanmar's neighbor Bangladesh and also Indonesia have turned boats of Rohingya refugees away. And the rights activists are saying that, you know, if you start turning away these people, it's basically a death sentence. Um, hundreds of Rohingya have died trying to get to Malaysia. Some were thrown overboard from boats that were overloaded because countries refused to let them even dock there. So tough going. Let's go back here to the U.S. A Texas National Guard soldier is feared drowned in the Rio Grande, the river. And right now he's missing, and he was there stationed as part of that National Guard mission ordered by Governor Texas Governor Greg Abbott to help prevent illegal border crossings. The Texas Military Department, in a brief statement, said that the Guard member had gone missing along the river during a mission-related incident. I did see on Twitter that perhaps there was, a, there was a body of a migrant recovered, and they think maybe he was going after them. But that's speculation. They are still searching. Uh, I pulled up this story. I have not seen if they have released his name yet. Oh, yeah, here it is. The New York Times is reporting that the guardsman had been attempting to rescue a migrant woman as she struggled in the water, according to the local sheriff. That woman had been crossing as a part of a relatively small group of migrants on Friday morning. The guardsman, who they think was in his early 20s, young guy or girl, and appeared to have been pulled away by the current at about 8.30 in the morning. Ugh. God. The woman did survive and made it across the river to the U.S. Uh, you're welcome. Man. Uh, the sheriff, the local sheriff there, that's uh, Sheriff Schmerber, uh, Tom Schmerber. He's a former Border Patrol officer, by the way. He said the county had recently seen about two drownings of migrants per week um, and said that when he was in the Border Patrol, they were advised never to jump in the river after anybody. The president of the Border Patrol Union chapter in the Del Rio sector said that when the guardsman saw the woman he, struggling, he removed his body armor, threw away his rifle, and jumped in. I mean, I get it, dude. 
it's hard. It would be pretty tough to see anybody, especially like a female struggling in the water and you just stand there and do nothing. And, uh, and initial incident reports that the soldier had not resurfaced and his team had lost visibility of him. Ugh. Border Patrol agents in this particular section of the river have retrieved 11 bodies just since the beginning of the month. Yeah, terrible. We'll have more on the border a little bit later. Okay, let's go to Ukraine and the war. Give you guys a brief update there. So what's happening? What's the latest? Well, here's the latest. Ukrainian officials have acknowledged that Russian forces have taken more than three dozen small towns in their initial drive this week to seize eastern Ukraine. And now they're thinking this is just going to be the fucking grind out like we initially suspected. This is day 58 of the war in Ukraine. So this fighting along the east is along those really fortified lines. Because remember, since they seized Crimea in 2014, fighting has been going on in the east this whole time. So there's like extremely dug-in positions. So you know it's going to be brutal. And these lines stretch across more than 300 miles. A Russian commander said that the Kremlin forces are aiming to take full control of southern Ukraine all the way to Moldova, which is Ukraine's southwest neighbor. Uh, that commander's name was Major General Rustam Mitikeev. Um, so we they, they think that is maybe unlikely considering Russia's botched plan doesn't really lend itself well to taking a shitload of southern Ukraine, but you can't rule it out. Um, Friday, fierce fighting was underway across a band of southeastern Ukraine, and they... The Ukrainian officials do acknowledge that Russia took control of them, but they also say that those same towns could be back in Ukrainian Ukrainian hands before long. Uh, remember, Russia has been battling in Mariupol, the southern city, and although it's been slow and they've taken lots of casualties, it has been successful largely. They've taken most of the city. Uh, so... The weird thing, though, is rather than reinforcing and re-equipping those forces, Moscow is pressing forward in the east. So now they think the Russian military is trying to secure those battlefield gains, including capturing all of the Donetsk and Luhansk regions. And they want to do that ahead of May 9th, because that's when Moscow holds its annual celebration of its World War II victory. <laughs> Propaganda in full effect. Um, so what else has happened? Uh, well, Moldova is complaining because that same general issued a veiled warning to them. He kind of claimed that there's evidence of oppression of Russian speaking populations in that area. The Moldovan government later summoned the Russian ambassador to complain. That's funny. Oh, uh, let me see here. What is this area I'm just looking at I've never heard of this before so Moscow backed separatists in 1992 seized control of a 250 mile sliver of land known as Transnistria yeah and that's attached directly to Moldovan border now tr tr is that how I'm saying it right 
Transnistria. That's the way it's spelled. Transnistria has never been recognized internationally, not even by Russia. But Russia does keep 1,500 soldiers there. They claim it's to keep the peace and guard a large Soviet-era munitions cache. Uh, yeah, most of those probably don't even work. Uh, Moldova is a country of 2.6 million and is extremely poor. So you can understand why they're alarmed. They are considered very vulnerable to further Russia incursions. They are not a member of NATO or the European Union, but they did hastily apply for European Union membership last month. Um, of course, we are racing to arm Ukraine with increasingly heavy long-range weapons. Prime Minister Boris Johnson of Britain on a visit to India said his country was considering sending tanks to Poland so then that Warsaw could send its own tanks to Ukraine. Oh, that game. <laughs> we'll give you tanks, but you got to give your tanks to them. That way they get tanks and we can say it wasn't us. The Russian Defense Ministry finally issued a statement on casualties from the April 14th sinking of the Moskva. That was the battleship, the flagship of Russia's Black Sea Fleet. They said that one crew member had died, 27 were missing, and the 396 had been evacuated. Um, what else here? Russia is hardening its crackdown on any domestic opposition to the war. It opened a criminal case against a guy who's a contributing columnist for the Washington Post named Vladimir Kara Mirza. He's also a pro-democracy activist. And the criminal case is for him spreading, quote, false information, end quote. He's facing 10 years in prison. He's only 40 years old. 40 years old. Um, the, the remark specifically that they're calling false information was a speech before Arizona lawmakers on March 15th. He told a local news outlet in Phoenix that Russia was committing, quote, war crimes, end quote, in Ukraine. Uh, he's not there, is he? Yeah, I don't, I don't think he's actually in Russia, I hope. But uh, it, the story mysteriously doesn't say. Rare miss, New York Times. Come on. Um, so, yes, what else? I have a few stories on exactly the weapons we're sending of them. Well, I'll get to that in a second. Also, there's a claim. The British members of parliament have been told that close to 3,000 members of the private military company Wagner Group are believed to be have been killed on the battlefield in Ukraine. You believe that shit? Remember a few podcasts ago, I went into the Wagner Group extensively, their whole background history and all that. The statistics were shared with the Common Foreign Affairs Committee by investigative website Bellingcat. I don't know if you guys have heard of them. They're kind of like this national security private investigative company. But yeah, they said that the numbers fighting alongside the Russian troops were much higher than what was expected. Uh, also, the members of parliament told, were told that close to 8,000 Wagner mercenaries had been deployed in Ukraine. So that's a pretty fucking significant casualty rate. And not just, they said killed. They didn't say like casualties, killed. So who knows how many were like wounded. Now, again, we're sending them lots of weapons. Again, I guess it's just like going to, because it seems like every week Joe Biden comes out and says, yeah, we're sending $1.5 We're sending $800 million. Like, it, the shit adds up is what I'm saying. But the Pentagon is sending an additional $800 million in defense aid that will effectively create five new Ukrainian artillery battalions 
And they're also sending 120 new drones built specifically for use by Ukraine's forces. Uh, they made an announcement in a statement sent to reporters on Thursday. Uh, what else here? As far as how are they kind of getting there? That's largely unknown. But two senior defense officials did talk a little bit about the efforts by the U.S. European Command in Stuttgart, Germany, to move as many weapons as possible from American stockpiles to the border of Ukraine. So representatives from 14 nations, including Ukraine, have posted liaison officers to a task force in Stuttgart that takes requests from the government in Kiev, and then they arrange for weapons and supplies from different countries to be delivered. That task force is called the European Command Control Center in Ukraine, and the existence has not been previously disclosed until now. That drone that will head to the region is called the Phoenix Ghost, and that was actually a previously unknown design, and it was actually developed rapidly by the Air Force after discussions with Ukrainian troops about what kind of weapons they need. So this is like a custom fucking Ukrainian drone. It is roughly similar to the Switchblade drone, which has already been sent to Ukraine, in that it is capable of surveillance, but ultimately used to crash into a target and explode on impact, the so-called suicide drones. Such tactical drones are useful in destroying high-value targets because, of course, they fly directly into them instead of trying to fire upon them. Uh... As far as the artillery weapons, we are sending dozens of 155-millimeter howitzers. So if you have five new Ukrainian artillery battalions, that will give them each 18 guns and nearly 37 rounds. Weapons of this type can generally fire three to five times per minute, striking targets about 25 miles away with 90-pound shells. Those are, if you don't know what I'm talking about, those are the kind of guns that have to be like towed into position. They're not like mounted on a truck or anything. Um, but they can be easily moved after firing and they can fucking provide a pretty steady stream of fire uh, while infantry advances. So some of the first batch of 18 howitzers have already arrived in Ukraine, having been drawn from Army and Marine Corps infantry in the United States. And additional howitzers will arrive over the weekend when, by the way, we are training more than 50 Ukrainian artillery soldiers and they are expected to complete their training on these new American guns at an undisclosed location outside their country. Hmm. wonder where that is. Uh, meanwhile, the cyber war keeps going. Hackers claim to have been, broke, uh, have been broken into dozens of Russian institutions over the past two months, including the Kremlin's internet sensor and one of the Kremlin's primary intelligence services. They've leaked emails and internal documents to the public in a very large scope cyber attack. And this comes as the Ukrainian government appears to have begun a parallel effort to punish Russia by publishing the names of supposed Russian soldiers who operated in Bucha. That was the site of the massacre of civilians. Kind of talked about that last week. And they're publishing the names of agents of the FSB, the Russian intelligence agency. It formerly was the KGB. And it published their names and identifying information like dates of birth and passport numbers. 
It's unclear how the Ukrainian government obtained those names or whether they were part of the hacks. This is kind of hard to identify and verify all this data. So, first of all, as an intelligence agency, the FSB is never going to confirm if any of this information is accurate. And even the groups distributing the data have warned that the files swiped from Russian institutions could contain malware or faked information, you know, counterintelligence, shit like that. And some of the data may also be recycled from previous leaks and presented as new in an attempt to artificially increase the hacker's credibility. <laughs> or just made up completely. See, you don't know. There's nothing. You can't tell what is real and just what's fake anymore. So... Hey, Josh, I, uh, so I got not, let me interrupt really quick. Right, so I got, I got not the one dog, but I've got the sister dog as well. Hey, shut up. And uh, so now they're acting on each other. And when one barks, of course, the second one has to join in. So I'm stuck with these two for now. <laughs> it's hard because I can't like take them outside because I got to like keep an eye on them. But I can't also, I have to leave them in here and I have to have all the doors and windows shut. And stuff. So I knew at one point they were going to act up. If you guys follow me on um, on Instagram at BK Actual, you probably saw me posting up some videos of the the brother and sister, and they're both yeah, they're both Belgian Malinois, and they're super fun to hang out with. And so, but they're definitely a ton of work. I've been running the shit out of them, but even this morning, but they're still going to if they hear anything in the backyard, they're like you know what's going on out there, and then the one fucking goes off, and then the other one goes off. Yes, you're very good. That was a very good job of yeah. The, the big boy is like saying, "Did I do good? Did I do good? Yeah, you did very good. Thanks a lot. <laughs> I really need this. Is not professional. This is why I got to move to a professional studio and get out of the house. Uh, okay, back to. I'm sorry about that. It'll probably happen again. By the way, before the end of the podcast, and if I can just deal with it with me, it's only temporary. Uh, anything else about the cyber warfare? Um, yeah, there's. Oh, oh, here's a little bit more detail about what Ukraine published. On March 1st, the Ukrainian news outlet called Ukrainska Pravda published names and personal information that it said belonged to 120,000 Russian troops fighting in Ukraine. That information came from... Where did it come from? It came from a Ukrainian security think tank. And then in late March, Ukraine's military leaked the names and personal data of 620 people it said were officers with the FSB. And then in early April, the military intelligence service published the personal information of Russian soldiers who they claimed were responsible for war crimes in uh, Bucha. So, yeah, the cyber wars rage on. That's going to be more and more. We're going to see it forever now. Is that all I have really for? Yeah, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it because I've talked about it every single week. Much like the coronavirus, I'm kind of already getting sick of it. I know it's very important, Jesus. Uh, what else? Well, since we're talking about things that I'm kind of bored with, why don't we do the COVID update? <laughs> you know, I realized like the last couple of weeks, I kind of miss it from week to week. Uh, I mean, I don't miss the not doing the update. I just haven't even talked about it at all. But since I have it here, why not? Uh, okay, cases, the cases are going up. Uh, there's a plus 52% increase in the 14-day change. Total reported cases. In the United States, 80,767,519. However, total deaths 
are down 33% in the 14-day change with a total reported deaths of 989,094. Cases have increased the majority of states, but they don't really, it doesn't really seem like it's anywhere near as fatal. One, because as we've talked about, we've gotten a lot better at treating COVID. And they still think these are the scary new subvariants contributing to this growth. Both evolved from the BA.2 subvariant. The average number of reported cases announced per day in the U.S. remains at its lowest level since the summer of 2021. Uh, but they think that's a vast undercount because now there's a lot of home testing and those often go unreported in official tallies. Uh, so anything at all interesting about this? Probably not, but let me just check the uh, live updates page. Oh, one funny thing. So Philadelphia put in a mask mandate and then like lifted it in like three days. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Four days. The change comes four days after Philly became the first major American city to reinstate an indoor mask mandate in response to the vi- uh, rising virus cases. That was that was just stupid. Yeah, and oh oh the, oh this is great. So the city health commissioner, some dummy named Cheryl Betagole. Uh, she said, "Yeah, um, declining case counts and hospitalizations mean a mask requirement is no longer necessary," and. She argued that the improving situation in Philadelphia was proof that the three-day mandate had worked. It's, it's These people will never admit that this is nonsense. There's no rhyme or reason to it. Yes, masks have some small effect because they do kind of contain your droplets when you're spitting and chewing and coughing and sneezing and hacking. Uh, but, but it's it's fucking minimal. Come on, let's fuck, let's all be honest with ourselves here. Uh, the Tony Award nominations are being delayed <laughs> because of coronavirus. Uh, New York City has placed dozens of school employees on unpaid leave because they say they used fake vaccine cards. Hmm. Law enforcement alerted the New York City Department of Education that yes, these teachers had provided false proof of coronavirus and vac- vaccination. Oh boy. Um, several employees claimed that they had followed the correct procedures and had received the notices in error, but they have yet to receive a, a response. Okay. Uh, and then LA County out here, they say masks are still required on public re- uh, transportation. That means this is so idiotic. That means in airports, right? So even as a bunch of airlines drop the mandate, you will have to keep your face mask on at LAX, Burbank, um, uh, not John Wayne, that's Orange County. But yeah, Burbank in LAX, you'll still have to wear a mask only to take it off once you get in a plane. <laughs> so stupid. Uh, yai, yai. Yeah, they, the LA County Health Department, said that the county was extending the mask requirement because the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention had determined that face coverings were still necessary on public transit. This is so stupid. Uh, yes, of course, this also comes as the federal judges week and very exciting news struck down that mask mandate for planes and public transit. Oh, dude, I have to tell you, if you wanted to see just not just complete hysteria, you had to go on Twitter when that decision came out. People were losing their goddamn minds, like all these soccer mommies and and little uh, soy boys or whatever you want to call them, they were losing their fucking minds that 
Remember, we're not banning masks on planes. She's just saying it's optional. And that alone was making people just fucking lose it. I'm telling you, we have a severe mental health crisis in this country. A lot of it is this, like, it, it is like a cult-like belief about the mask wearing. And it's not even, like, medical anymore, I don't think. I think it's much more to show that you're a good person. You're one of the good people. You're not a Trump supporter, right? So they have to signal that. And I think that's actually what people are most afraid of giving up. But yeah, that federal judge struck down the mask requirement and airplanes, buses, trains, and other public transportation on Monday, less than a week after the Center for Disease Control had extended it through May 3rd. So the ruling leaves it up to individual airlines and local transit agencies to decide what to do. So by late Monday, the nation's largest airlines had dropped those mask requirements for domestic flights. And the Amtrak, by the way, rail system, said the passengers and employees would no longer need to wear masks. And this was done by Judge Catherine Kimball Mazell, who, the media informed me over and over again, was appointed by President Donald J. Trump. And this is interesting because she says this mandate applies to airports, train stations, and other transportation hubs. Okay, so she said airport, and L.A. County, I just told you, is keeping theirs in the airport. Hmm. Now, there's some discrepancy whether the Biden administration is going to appeal it, because first they said they weren't going to. Biden even said, like, well, it's up to them, and then they came out and said they would appeal it. So, not really, not really sure what's going on with that. What else about this law? This, this basically has to do with, the decision had to do with whether the CDC could had the lawful authority to do this. Because in July of 2021, the Health Freedom Defense Fund filed a lawsuit challenging the CDC's mask mandate for travelers, and the agency did that on February 2nd of 2021, and then the CDC extended that mandate several times. So the lawsuit was like, the CDC does not have authority to do this. So Mizell, the judge, said that um, basically the agency... May take much may take measures as it deems necessary and provides a list of examples like sanitation. So that that's what the current law says the CDC is allowed to do, but the judge wrote that that power was limited to things like cleaning property and not requiring people themselves to take hygienic steps. <laughs> well, you know what? I'd rather the CDC come out and say you have to shower before getting on a plane. That would be nice, and you have to dress like not like a piece of shit. That's what they should be doing instead of this. So now we're going to see like the probably the uh, the appeals come up. So after the CDC and the Transportation Security Administration, by the way, the TSA issued their guidance Monday, almost immediately the nation's four largest airlines, United, Delta, Southwest, and American, said that they were dropping the mask requirements. They were quickly followed by JetBlue, Alaska, Spirit, and Frontier. Then Amtrak came out. Uh, New York City Metropolitan Transportation Authority said that they would keep their mask mandate in place, but the West Washington Metro Area Transit Authority in D.C. said that masks would be optional for passengers and employees. All right. 
Do I want to do anything else with this? Oh, there were um, there were like a few videos floating around. You guys probably saw some of them of the uh, people celebrating on plane. Here's a stewardess announcing the end of the mask mandate. She started crying. And on board the aircraft. Yes. If you'd like to get your mask, please feel free to do that. We do have extras if you'd like one. The first time in two years. Okay, so she's kind of crying and saying this is the first time I've been able to take this off in two years. And uh, here's a pilot announcing the removal of the mask mandate. Let's check this one out. April 18th, the Biden administration announced that the Transportation Security Administration will no longer enforce the federal mandate requiring masks in all U.S. airports and onboard aircraft. All right, people seem very happy with this. So what's the problem? They'll probably, you know, the Biden administration, if they, honestly choosing to appeal this, it was a stupid move. They basically did that because they wanted to appease their far left crazed base. I mean, hear how happy people are. Yeah. So, um, also, I, I do want to point out, so this federal judge, and I, just to make sure you guys know I'm consistent, this federal judge did issue a nationwide injunction, which you guys know, if you've been listening to me for a while, I'm not a fan of those. I don't think one judge should be able to uh, fucking completely disregard a law for the whole country. You guys remember the, and if you disagree with me, because it's the mask thing, well, remember the infamous Hawaiian judge? And uh, all sorts of other judges with their border nonsense. One judge in one district says, no, that's illegal. And then the fucking whole complete law is scrapped, even though it might be thousands of miles away from. Personally, I think that a federal judge should only be able to uh, give an immediate injunction on some new law or policy in their district. Now, this one is true. It's a little special because it involves airline transportation, which crosses multiple district, federal district uh, area lines. So I know that it's a little bit different, but I remain, uh, I, I don't care for this. I think it's absurd. I think it's ridiculous that one person, and, reg- and don't get me wrong, I, for a change, this was a nice fucking injunction, but I don't think that one person in general, in practice, one judge should be able to strike down a law or policy because um, they don't like it. One person invalidating Congress or a governor or something like that. I just think it's wrong. But... For a change, this is actually used for good. So let's keep going. All right. Let's do... Oh, well, let's uh, talk about the French election again. You guys know that's coming. It's coming uh, tomorrow, Sunday. I I do believe President Emmanuel Macron will probably win easily, but polls are showing that the race is tighter than before. He will face Marine Le Pen. And she is, as the media never fails to remind me, the far-right leader. So this is, remember, this is the second round because they were the top two finishers in the general. So now they're facing each other. So this is the second round. This is the runoff. Um, Remember Macron won. He he came in first in that first round with 27.85% of the vote. And Marine Le Pen came in second with 23.15% of the vote vote. (laughs) Uh, So now they will go at it. And this is the second time they're going at it because they faced off in France's last presidential election in 2017. 
and that's why and that's why I say I'm skeptical that uh, he will lose because in 2017 he ble- he blew her out of the water. He won nearly two thirds of the vote. However, like I said, polls this time show the race is going to be a lot closer. Um, so Le Pen, who is kind of trying to project that she's a softer, gentler, far-right candidate. Of course, she still is against uh, mass uh, illegal immigration and you know, very pro-French nationalism. Uh, the third guy, I remember, was that radical leftist candidate. His name was Jean-Luc Mélenchon. He finished with 21.95% of the vote in the, uh, in the first round. So now both Macron and Le Pen are trying to get all of his crazed left-wing voters into their camp. And they're talking, so to woo them, they're talking about social justice and preserving France's generous welfare state. Uh, Just a little bit, some bullet points about what's going on. Remember, France is a nation of over 67 million people. It is the world's seventh largest economy. It is the most visited country in the world. It is one of five permanent members of the UN Security Council. It does have nuclear weapons. It is a founding member of the European Union, and uh, they are very involved in EU policy. And so now the next president is going to have um, two huge problems. One, of course, is Russia invading Ukraine. That has led to, I think the last time I saw, 6 million people have fled Ukraine. And so it's all over Europe. They're dealing with that. And then the economic recovery, because they're having all kinds of supply chain problems. So as far as what voters think, well, there has been the culture war stuff, same as here. Uh, But the surveys, voter surveys show that French voters are now primarily concerned with the growing cost of living. And... Then again, in the background is Islam. Huge, huge issue over there. Uh, voter turnout for the first round of voting was 73.69%. That's pretty high by many country standards, but that's actually the lowest for a French presidential election since 2002. Uh, so what about powers? Does the French president have power? Yes, he does. They actually have more than many Western leaders and they have fewer checks and balances that limit the executive branch than in other countries. So the French presidents are elected directly by the people for five-year terms. And then shortly after the presidential election, they go back to the polls, do the voters, to vote for representatives in the National Assembly. That's the more powerful House of Parliament where terms there also last five years. Remember, this is different than British prime ministers, and German chancellors. Because those two are chosen by the parties that control the most seats in parliament. So the French presidents, like ours, are elected directly by the people. Um, Anything else interesting about France's uh, president? Well, and France has a prime minister as well. And they are the official head of government. They do play an important role in the constitutional system, but... The president is the guy who appoints the prime minister and he, the president, sets much of France's agenda there. Uh, We talked about Macron a little bit. 44 years old, former investment banker. He was elected in 2017. He didn't have much political experience at the time. And then Marie Le Pen is 53 years old. She's running now for the first time, uh, third time 
Uh, I don't think she won. She didn't get past the first round in the first time she ran. But again, she ran against Macron in 2017. She leads the National Party. She's faced criticism about her past sympathy for President Vladimir Putin of Russia. But now, inflation and rising energy costs and the cost of living play into her well. All right. And then there's all kinds of shit about how the elections work. I'm not going to get into that. But at 8 p.m. on Election Day, 8 p.m. tomorrow, the French news media will work with pollsters to publish projected results on preliminary vote counts. But if the race is close, projections might not come clear until later. So, very good. All right, now you guys know more about fucking the French election than uh, 99% of the United States. Uh, Let's see. Let's go to... Well, let's talk about... Okay, I might as well do this one. Let's talk about what's going on in Florida with Governor Ron DeSantis, who has now officially revoked Disney's special tax status in Florida. (laughs) Yes, this is passed by the legislature. He signed it, and this move reverses a 55-year arrangement which effectively allowed Disney to self-govern its theme park complex. Remember, Disney has huge historical ties to Florida, so this is like a this is a very meaningful conflict. And this has been a weeks-long battle with Disney, and this all started over the fucking broader cultural fight over education, sexuality, uh, the this this education law that was recently signed by Ron DeSantis, that law is called the Parental Rights and Education Measure, or if the media, if you only listen to the media, it's called the Don't Say Gay Bill. Of course, that's not what it's called. That's what they've nicknamed it. That bill prohibits classroom instruction about sexual orientation and gender identity in some elementary school grades. <laughs> the New York Times doesn't even write what the grades are. It's uh, I believe it's uh, preschool through third grade. And then... So they passed this bill. Uh, Disney had all kinds of LGBT people screaming at them to speak out because they are Florida's largest private employer. So they felt like they had to get involved. They criticized the measure. And then the uh, Republicans in Florida, which is growing redder by the day, did not care for that at all. And so now they decided to take revenge on Disney by yanking this uh, special fucking circumstance here. And what else? They, they think this new law takes away perks for Disney, like issuing their own building permits, for example. And Democrats are warning that it leaves Central Florida's Orange and Os- Osceola. Os- I don't go to Florida often, guys. O-S-C-E-O-L-A. They are warning that these counties will hold the bag for some $163 million in annual taxes, and they're warning that local property owners could see significant property tax hikes. Disney had been paying taxes to itself, using the money to pay for things like police and fire services. Uh, So this is the uh, Reedy Creek area, it's called. And as far as the arrangement itself... um, this is the able ability to for Disney to self-govern its theme park complex, right? It's 25,000 acres, by the way. So they voted to eliminate this special zone called the Reedy Creek Improvement District. And 
I have to keep I have to keep hitting tab after tab here because it's not telling me exactly. I already I heard what the Reedy Creek district is, but I'm looking for exact details on it. Now, Florida has hundreds of such districts, but these districts were created before 1968. And almost all of these districts were set up after that date. And Disney's Creek Improvement District gives the company considerable control over the planning and permitting process for construction, including they can like they can do anything they want. They can build roads. They can throw up a fucking uh, Matterhorn, whatever you want to do. Disney World even generates some of its own electricity through Reedy Creek. So if they get rid of this, this will will require the two counties I said earlier to step in and provide the services, and that's where they think the fucking uh, the taxpayers could get harder, hit harder. So that's kind of what happened. Again, a huge deal in Florida where Disney's been for many decades. And Florida Republicans are defending it, saying, hey, this is going to eliminate corporate perks. And um, that, and this is a law passed through you know, both houses of the Florida legislature and signed by the governor. So, yeah, people are getting... All worked up about it. I have a few clips here. First of all, let's listen as Ron DeSantis. Uh, I'm this. Is, I'm sorry. This is not. This is in the Florida House of Representatives, but this is after lawmakers voted to remove Disney's special tax status. Listen to the disagreement in the background. It's fucking. And we will common. vote on these two bills. It is my hope that we will be able to proceed civilly and with decorum and with respect for one another. Read the next bill. By Senator Bradley, Senate Bill 4C, a bill to be entitled an act relating to independent special districts. Yeah, so you can kind of you kind of just hear him screaming in the background, and uh, that goes on for some time. So, oh, here's more. All right, let me listen a little bit more. Representative Fine, you're recognized to explain your bill. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. It seems as Mickey and many have joined us in the chamber today. That said, this is the bill that we discussed yesterday. Members, we will either go into structured debate or we will call the previous question. Representative Brenner, you're recognized for a motion. Mr. Speaker, I move the previous question on the bill. Representative Renner moves the previous question on the bill. This motion is not debatable and requires a majority vote. All in favor say aye. All opposed, no. Show the bill. Show the motion passes. We will now proceed to call the previous question. <laughs> oh, my God. The, 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 the clerk will unlock it the machine and members will proceed to vote on Senate Bill 4. Okay, I'll stop it there. It doesn't really identify who's doing all the screaming. It just, like, it did cut away for a quick shot, but there's, like, all these photographers, and I can't really, can't really make out heads or tails of it. Uh, meanwhile, remember, running for governor against Ron DeSantis is Charlie Crist. And he was asked a question and kind of put on the spot in a recent, like, little town hall or something event. So let's listen to this. Sexual orientation. Like, it's all, it's how, like, it's indicated. Like, would you support just a ban on that specifically? A ban on what? On the teaching by public teachers of those, like, explicit materials in K through 3. And contrary, like, like gender identity issues and, and, and sexual orientation for first graders and second graders. Would you support banning that specifically? It's, it's irrelevant right now because that's a choice I don't have. That's not the bill they passed. 
and extend it further. Would you, do you think the teachers should be able to instruct first graders and second graders on, on very sensitive topics like that? Or do you think that's more of a, a parental thing? It would depend on what the bill says, and I can't give you an answer to that. Okay, so he's not going to touch it with a 10-foot pole. He's going to lose by like 30 freaking points to Ron DeSantis. Uh, this one, I found this clip. This was funny. So there's a MSNBC comment, commentator named Simone Sanders. Remember, she used to be like Bernie Sanders' spokeswoman when he was running for president. And she went on Chuck Todd on one of these stupid talk shows. And it's funny because she's sitting here going, oh, yeah, Disney is going to totally win this. This vote is a joke, and it's uh, Disney's going to prevail. And then seconds later, Chuck Todd tells her, actually, no, it passed. <laughs> so I thought it was I mean, it's, this is ridiculous. And, I, and I, I know fashion corporations is popular left and right these days. I'd be careful going. Oh, my money is on the Disney lobbyists, honey. Would, would you? Would you my money is on the Disney lobbyists. Do you think those those state legislators yeah. down in Florida are going to bend to the will of the governor? Did you see no. what Jared Polis said? He'd love a Rocky Mountain Disney. I, yeah. <laughs> um, but by the way, the Florida legislature, the, the state senate, just passed this bill to strip Disney of its special access. Look, it's a <laughs> she's like, there. Yeah, Disney lobbyists, my ass. Okay. Um. I'll get back to that one in a moment because uh, I'll, I'll get to the political roundup in the moment because I, I do have some good stuff. But let's keep going. How about this one? NFL star, National Football League, Von Miller. You guys have all heard of Von Miller. He's a very famous player. He's being sued by a woman who claims he shared a set of intimate images taken during a mutual sex act with two celebrities. Hmm. According to legal documents... A woman going by Jane Doe is suing Von Miller for intrusion of private affairs and intentional infliction of emotional stress. And, by the way, violating the law. That would be the revenge porn law. Um, this woman claims she dated Von Miller, and over the course of their relationship, he took, quote, private and intimate photos and videos, end quote, of her that were not to be shared with others. She expected the sex tapes and photographs would remain private between them. Uh, this this uh, lawsuit was actually filed quite a while ago, but I, I think it's being updated now because the story is just now in the news. The lawsuit was filed in May 7, 2020. I'm sorry. Let me back up. That was This is poorly written. The lawsuit was just filed, okay? The lawsuit claims... That on May 7th, 2020, in a fit of jealousy, anger, and rage, Von Miller shared a private sexually explicit photographer, photograph of her and Miller engaged in a sexual act to, quote, two well-known celebrities, end quote. Hmm. Foursome, dude? <laughs> Who's taking the picture? Maybe it's a selfie of them all in, like, one big ball of flesh. Oh, man. Any more detail on this? The suit never mentions who the two celebrities are or exactly what was in the footage and images. But she, the plaintiff, says the pictures were sent via Instagram to the two famous parties. Um, Miller's first message, apparently, so she's claiming Von Miller... DM'd or something these photos to the, the the two famous parties on Instagram. So according to the lawsuit, Miller's first me message reads, "Quote this: the bitch you want, 
you can have her dog, end quote. The intimate image was allegedly sent next. A second message, the suit claims, was sent a few minutes later saying, quote, this the bitch you want, end quote, again. Okay, so it sounds like, hmm, because this to me sounds like Von Miller is sending the pictures to another dude showing the four of them fucking around and saying, this is the bitch you want. But the, the story says the pictures were sent, the Instagram, and these were what the messages say. So a little bit confusing. But yeah, I'm curious, dude. Yeah, she's suing him. The exact amount she's suing him for has not been real. But yeah, the foursome. And yeah, I'm just curious. Like, don't fucking, dude. Isn't it a faux pas to pull out a camera in the orgy? I always, I was taught that as a very young man. <laughs> that was... That was a no-go. Apparently, times have changed. You can't trust anything, dude. You have to have a fucking metal detector and a wand and the whole deal at the door of the orgy. You got to have all the phones. You got to have everything turned off, batteries removed, everything, if you want to stay anonymous with that. In this day and age, shit. And then, let's go to this. A man has been charged with threatening the dictionary. Yep. A California man was arrested on charges that he sent messages to Merriam-Webster the dictionary company, and in which he threatened to shoot and bomb its offices because he did not like the company's dictionary definitions related to gender identity. <laughs> Fucking nut. Jeremy David Hansen of Rossmore, California, who's arrested in California this week, he threatened to kill every employee of the Massachusetts-based Merriam-Webster. And this is according to the U.S. Attorney's Office because it's a federal crime. It's across state lines. He was charged with one count of interstate communication of threat to commit violence. There you go. So this went on from October 2nd to October 8th, 2021. 34-year-old Hansen sent anonymous comments and messages to Merriam-Webster uh, condemning the company for changing the definitions of words, including boy, girl, and trans woman. He wrote in one comment about the definition of female, quote, there is no such thing as gender identity. The imbecile who wrote this entry should be hunted down and shot, end quote. <laughs> he also said that messages saying the company's headquarters should be, quote, shot up and bombed, end quote. Uh, by, in October, they finally threat, um, reported the threats to the FBI, which easily tracked him down through his IP address, obviously. His mother, oh, this is funny, his mother told investigators that her son had autism, <laughs> autism, whatever, and was, quote, fixated on transgender issues, end quote. Um, and yes, Merriam-Webster is, the, is by the way, they're the country's oldest dictionary publisher. In recent years, yes, they have updated certain d definitions to be more inclusive of shifting attitudes around gender. Yeah, dude. You guys, you got to have a fucking VPN or something. You're too easy to catch. With the technology these days, you just can't do this. It's um, They're going to catch up to you right away. Uh, speaking of federal law enforcement, I thought this was cool, and I have a good audio clip on this. The FBI has issued a Navajo language alert for an unsolved homicide. Yeah, this is a, this is a first. Um, the FBI started airing a radio ad last week seeking information about the fatal shooting of a man in... Nashiti, New Mexico, within the Navajo, Na Navajo Nation. And it's unusual because the plea for help came directly from Sharon Lee Begay, who is the mother of the victim named Lee Michael Pahe. 
The ad features Ms. Lee Begay speaking in Navajo as part of a broader effort to direct more resources to crimes against Native Americans. Um, Native Americans are victims of violent crime at a far higher rate than the national average. Uh, so in the 90-second ad, which I'm going to play in a moment, it's airing twice a day on the Navajo language radio nation, KTNN, which I'm actually familiar with because I've driven through that area before and I turned it on. I was like hypnotized by the, the language. And she says her son was a married father, asked people to share any information. He died of a gunshot. He was found dead next to a water pump. And, um, yeah, the field offices in Albuquerque and Phoenix for the FBI said that in February 2021, they began provide audio alerts in Navajo alongside posters for unsolved homicide and missing persons cases. Uh, they, they said they started issuing posters in the Navajo language in March of 2020. Uh, so... There were approximately 1,500 missing persons identified as American Indian and Alaskan Native in the National Crime Information Center at the end of 2021. So because I think the language itself is pretty cool, uh, I'm going to go ahead and play this ad. Again, this is for Lee Michael Pahe. If you happen to speak Navajo, uh, you'll understand this. Farmington, yeah, pretty cool language. It goes on for another minute or so. Okay, what else? Uh, let's do a couple plane stories. Did you see the fucking Capitol? They called for the Capitol building in D.C. to be evacuated because there was a suspicious plane. Yeah, this plane this, uh, this plane sparked alarm and a rushed evacuation of the Capitol. And then an angry condemnation from Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who accused federal aviation officials of failing to inform the complex's security officials of a plane circling close. Well, that plane turned out to be carrying members of the Army's Golden Knights parachute team, and it was taking part in a celebration of the armed forces at Nationals Park on Wednesday evening. So somebody fucked up huge. Um, she, Pelosi... In a statement said, quote, the Federal Aviation Administration's apparent failure to notify Capitol Police of the pre-planned flyover is outrageous and inexcusable, end quote. Oh, of course she did this. Of course she had to invoke January 6th. <laughs> she went on to say, quote, the unnecessary panic caused by this apparent negligence was particularly harmful for members, staff, and institutional workers still grappling with the trauma of the attack on their workplace on January 6th, Mr. End quote. Okay, she didn't say mister. But yeah, right, an alarm went through Capitol Hill. And U.S. Capitol Police sent out a message to their phones or something, I guess, and said, quote, evacuate now, aircraft intrusion. <laughs> End quote. The alert said officers are tracking an aircraft that poses, quote, a probable threat to the Capitol complex. End quote. So everybody starts freaking out. 
And then 20 minutes later, they get a follow-up alert. Uh, by the way, the aircraft no longer th- poses a threat to the Capitol. That's funny. Uh, the Army said they're reviewing right now. Somebody messed up big time. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah, so somebody did not inform the right people. They're like, ah, fuck it. And another plane, I think I talked about this at the time, but I can't quite remember. But do you remember the YouTuber who posted a video of himself last year parachuting out of a plane that he claimed had malfunctioned? I want to say I did talk about it because any goofball YouTube stuff like that, I'm always, I usually end up talking about. But how about this update? The FAA has said that Trevor Jacob, the YouTuber, purposely abandoned the aircraft and allowed it to crash into the Los Padres National Forest in Southern California. Wow. Yeah, the FAA says that this guy violated federal aviation regulations and uh, said they were going to immediately revoke Jacobs's private pilot certificate, effectively ending his permission to operate any aircraft. Uh, the New York Times reached out to Jacob. Uh, he said uh, he was unaware of this ruling, and he replied, quote, where'd you get that information, end quote. And they sent him follow-up emails. He did not reply. He's a former snowboarding Olympian turned YouTuber. With more than 100,000 subscribers, he briefly addressed the airplane controversy in a new video, but he said that he cannot talk about it per his attorney. Uh, of course, he goes on to say, the truth of the situation will come out in time. Yeah, we, I think we know the truth, goofball. The FBAA, by the way, does not have the ability to prosecute. If you're wondering, well, why isn't he in jail? They can only revoke and suspend certificates and issue fines. Um, a spokesman for the Transportation Department's Office of the Inspector General said that that agency, which oversees the FAA, could neither confirm nor deny the existence of an investigation into this flight, which took place on November 24th. A 13-minute video of that crash, titled, if you guys want to go look it up, quote, I crashed my plane, end quote, has more than 1.7 million views. And then he acts, uh, he claimed that he had flown that day to spread the asses of his best friend, some base jumper, who died, while base jumping, by the way. He said he was going to do that, but in the video, you hear him unleash a flurry of expletives when the propeller stops spinning, and then he opens the plane's door, and he jumps out with a parachute, and he's got a selfie stick in hand to record it all. It just happens to have all that. Almost immediately after the video is put up, viewers and aviation experts expressed doubt online over his portrayal, and then he turned off comments for the video. Oh, man. The FAA said before jumping out of the plane, he made no attempt to contract air traffic control on the emergency frequency, did not try to restart the engine by increasing airflow over the propeller, and failed to look for a place to safely land, quote, even though there were multiple areas within gliding range in which you could have made a safe landing, end quote. Hmm. What if his, I mean, is he going to be prosecuted by anybody? If, If that had started a huge fire, he definitely would have been, but I don't know, apparently not. Okay, let's do, this story is, uh, all right, let's go to this one. (laughs) Very important story from the New York Post. American men's penises are only the 59th biggest penises in the world. That's right, this is a new study. This was a poll of 86 nations. 
And the there's some good info here. They say that the American man's length of his penis, the average length of an American man's penis is 5.35 inches. Inches. They reve- Now they, they said, guess who's number one? Well, wait a minute. Let me make sure I have this one here right. Um, I want it. This is a, another horribly written article. Oh, here it is. Okay, the biggest penises in the world with an average of 6.95 inches are Ecuadorian men. <laughs> the smallest penises in the world, 3.95 inches long. Of course, these are all when erect. And the smallest penises in the world can be found in Cambodia. Yes, at 3.95 inches. Uh, this was an online pharmacy called From Mars. They analyzed Google data from 86 countries to come up with the findings. So yes, probably not very reliable or scientific, but still fun nevertheless. Men in the United States narrowly beat those in the U.K., the UK average penis size is 5.17 inches. And I know I have listeners in Australia. So Australia ranked 43rd at 5.69 inches. All right, very good. Um, <laughs> uh, what people spend money on. But it worked. Look, the New York Post is doing it. I'm doing the story. Of course. Uh, let's see here. What else? Let's do a couple stabbings. A woman's fatal stabbing was streamed on Instagram in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And thank you to my listener who sent me this one. A Louisiana man who appeared to have been on a days-long drug binge with a woman killed her inside a car on Monday in an attack that was streamed online. I tried to find the tape. I couldn't. Showing himself stabbing, choking, and torturing her. That was 35-year-old Earl Lee Johnson, who has been charged with murder in the killing of 34-year-old Janice David, who was found in the vehicle Monday night with her hands bound and body bloodied from more than 10 stab wounds. The video stream was posted on Instagram, of course owned by Facebook, um, and it, it was posted on Instagram, but it had been streamed live on Facebook Live. So... The Louisiana State Police was contacted by Meta, Facebook, and Instagram's parent company of that Instagram video that showed Johnson attacking Ms. David. Meta learned of the video from a uh, social media user who, who notified the company. So, yeah, this is, this is insane. Johnson put his phone on the dashboard and recorded himself beating Ms. David all while appearing to talk to people watching online, making mention about what he was doing. Oh, and then he tried to set the car on fire while her body was inside. Uh, The police believe that they had been on a three- or four-day drug binge together. Sergeant, a local sergeant's uh, spokesperson said that they had been using heroin and methamphetamine. Our second stabbing story, I want to... I put this out on Twitter, Bravo Kilo Actual, because I was wondering if this was a vagrant, but... If you were following me on Twitter, you saw that in California, some fucking dude randomly went into a high school and stabbed a girl to death in Stockton, California. Well, they have arrested a 52-year-old man and charged him with murder. That is Anthony Gray. He's been arrested and charged. The 15-year-old girl who was sadly stabbed to death in Stag High School was identified as Alicia Reynaga. 
by the San Joaquin County Medical Examiner's Office. They're still not... They're, they're still trying to determine motive. That's what makes me suspicious. They did say that they do not believe that the adult or the child knew each other at all. She was standing near the entrance of Stag High School just after 11 a.m. when a man drove onto school grounds in a car, parked, walked over, and then stabbed her a couple times. She was taken to a hospital where he died, where she died. Um, Gray appears to be from Stockton. Hmm. See, that's what makes me think fucking vagrant. Although he did have a car, but he could have been living in the car, which is sort of a vagrant. I mean, you get you get like you can go car camping and you're not a vagrant. But if once you're living in the car, I think pretty much you are. I mean, at least you're not living in the street, but still. Here's a story for you jacked and tanned aficionados out here. How about this? This is fucking crazy. You guys all do intermittent fasting, or you've have you've tried intermittent fasting before, right? Well, guess what? A scientists, the group of scientists, have found no benefit to time restricted eating. Yes, this all has to do with intermittent fasting. If you guys don't know what that is, it means you restrict your eating through um, a period of twenty four hours, a, a certain time of day. So, in other words, you'll you'll eat from ten a.m. to two p.m. But then you do not eat again until the next 10 a.m., okay? Or you, you can make it a four-hour window, eating window. You can make it a two-hour eating window. You can make it an eight-hour eating window. I've, I've done pretty much. And it always seems to work for me. I definitely feel like way less bloated, that's for sure. But as far as weight loss, um, they're saying it's not working. Studies in mice seemed to support uh, time-restricted eating, another name for intermittent fasting. Small studies of people with obesity suggested it might help shed pounds. But now there is a rigorous one-year study in which people followed a low-calorie diet between the hours of 8 a.m. and 4 p.m. or consumed the same number of calories anytime during the day has failed to find any effect at all. As a matter of fact, a diet researcher at the University of California, San Francisco, named Dr. Ethan Weiss, said, quote, there is no benefit to eating in a narrow window, end quote. This was published in the New England Journal of Medicine. It was led by researchers at Southern Medical University in Guangzhou, China, and included 139 people with obesity. Both, uh, let me see how the study worked. Women ate 1,200 to 1,500 calories a day, and men consumed 1,500 to 1,800 calories daily. To ensure compliance, participants were required to photograph every bit of food they ate and to keep food diaries. Both group lost weight, which was an average of 14 to 18 pounds, but there was no strategic significance in the amounts of weight lost with either strategy. So in other, in other words, they're saying as long as you eat the calories, you're going to lose weight anyway, and it doesn't matter if you spread them throughout the day. So if you're eating, say, 2,000 calories a day, they're saying it doesn't matter if you consume all 2,000 of those calories between 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. or if you spread it throughout the day. Even, I don't know, right before bed, apparently. This is not the first time they tested time-restricted eating, but previous studies were a lot smaller and um, a lot shorter duration. This was a, a, a long one. That guy I quoted earlier, Dr. Weiss, he said he used to be a true believer in this. He said for seven years he'd eaten only between noon and 8 p.m. 
he he actually said he could not believe the results. He asked statisticians to analyze the data four times and uh, said, "Yeah, this is crazy." He's like, uh, "This is a hard." He even said, "This is a hard thing to accept." I was a devotee to this. But um, hey, if it works for you, that's all that matters. But yeah, I was very surprised about that. All right. Let me go to a couple Supreme Court stories. Um, Supreme Court has ruled on Puerto Rico. And they're saying that Congress may exclude residents of Puerto Rico from a Social Security benefits program. So the case from Puerto Rico concerned a social security program that provides monthly cash payments to older, blind, and disabled people who cannot support themselves. Those are called SSI, Supplemental Security Income. They are available to U.S. citizens in the 50 states, D.C., and the Northern Mariana Islands, but not in Puerto Rico, the U.S. Virgin Islands, or Guam. This was the U.S. versus Vallejo Madero. And it concerned Jose Luis Vallejo Madero, who was a disabled man who received benefits when he lived in New York and continued to get them after he moved to Puerto Rico in 2013. Well, when the Social Security Administration became aware of the move, it sought repayment of the benefits that he had received since he moved, and they eventually sued him for about $28,000. So he fucking fought back, said, that, hey, this law violates my right to equal protection. Hmm. Well... He lost. And this was 8-1, to one, by the way, in the Supreme Court. Pretty overwhelming. Uh, Justice Brett Kavanaugh, writing for eight members of the court, said that the unequal treatment was due to the fact that presidents, residents of Puerto Rico generally do not pay federal income taxes. Ah, I see. So, he says, uh, yeah, this is reasonable in light that um, they, they don't pay those income taxes. And Joe Biden last year actually said excluding Puerto Rico from the program uh, was inconsistent with his administration's policies. He called on Congress to address the matter. The only dissenter was Justice Sonia Sotomayor, whose parents are from Puerto Rico. She dissented. She said, quote, there's no rational basis for Congress to treat needy citizens living anywhere in the United States so differently from others, end quote. Well, pay some taxes, and you can get all the benefits you want. But yeah, it is kind of fucked up. That seems like it's just something that they just forgot to do maybe a long time ago. I don't know. Uh, second Supreme Court case, this involves the military. Supreme Court has ruled against an Air Force officer who refused to take the vaccine. Yep, they said uh, that the Pentagon may take disciplinary action against the lieutenant colonel in the Air Force Reserve, who refused to be vaccinated against the coronavirus on religious grounds. Um, this was actually an emergency application, which judges usually don't sign, and they don't really give reasons either. So this didn't even go to the full uh, Supreme Court. This was a interim measure that denied relief while appeals followed. And this uh, comes after a similar ruling last month that said that the Navy could consider the vaccination of 35 of its service members in decisions about whether they should be assigned or deployed. This new case was Lieutenant Colonel John Dunn, who has been removed from his command after serving for nearly two decades as a pilot. He decided the coronavirus vaccine violated his faith after seeing President Biden speak about it. <laughs> 
Uh, he went on to just say some stuff about um, this vaccine has ceased to be merely a medical intervention and has taken on a symbolic and even sacramental quality. He says this was akin to the ancient Roman laws requiring that sacrifices be made to Caesar. Uh, okay. I, I, I don't know. The military, you guys know, the, I don't understand the military objection to it. I mean, I wouldn't understand losing my whole career. He's been in 20 years, so he doesn't care, but I'm just saying. You got all kinds of ejections. So, all right, let's do some, um, well, I suppose I should get to some of these audio clips since I have so many. Let's do a little bit of a political roundup. Let's start with Kevin McCarthy, the House Republican leader. Uh, he was in the news, and the Twitter blue checks were very excited about this. He told GOP lawmakers in the days after the January 6, 2021 attack on the U.S. Capitol that former President Donald Trump acknowledged he bore, quote, some responsibility, end quote, for what happened that day. So this was audio obtained by the New York Times, and they're saying that his assertion would be the clearest indication yet that Trump may have admitted some measure of culpability for the deadly mob. In the conference call... McCarthy told House Republicans on January 11th, quote, let me be very clear to all of you, and I have been very clear to the president. He bears responsibilities for his words and actions, no ifs, ands, or buts, end quote. And then McCarthy went on to say, quote, I asked him personally today, does he hold responsibility for what happened? He told me he does have some responsibility for what happened, and he'd need to acknowledge that, end quote. Trump did not respond to a quest for comment. Uh, this was obtained in reporting for an upcoming book. Okay. Yeah. And then, uh, so I have a clip of, uh, also this was, this was from this clip. The, this was from the house Republican leadership call. And this is Re representative Kevin McCarthy. And he's talking to, uh, Liz Cheney. And so let me play the clip. And let's hear what we can hear. Yeah, I'm here. Thanks, Kevin. Um, I guess there's a question when when we were talking about the 25th Amendment resolution. Um, yeah. And you asked if, if you know what happens if it gets there after he's gone. Is is there any chance? Are you hearing that he might resign? Is there any reason to think that might happen? I've had a few discussions. My gut tells me no. Um, I'm seriously. Thinking of having that conversation with him tonight. I haven't talked to him in a couple of days. Um, from what I know of him, I mean, you guys all know him too. Do you think he'd ever back away? But what what I think I'm going to do is I'm going to call him. My this, this is what I think. Um, no one will pass the house. I think there's a chance he'll pass the Senate even when he's gone. Um, and. I think there's a lot of different ramifications for that. Now, I haven't had a discussion with the Dems that if he did design, would it not happen? Now, this is one personal fear I have. Um, I do not want to get into any conversations about Pence pardoning anything like that. I mean, the only discussion I would have with him is that I think this will pass, and it would be my recommendation we should resign. Um, I mean, that would be my take, but I don't think he would take it, but I don't know. Okay, so he's basically saying, like, yes, he pretty much thinks he should resign. 
Uh, and then other political news, as long as we might as well just go into the roundup. The, that uh, kooky congressman from Georgia, Marjorie Taylor Greene, she's in court because this is an administrative law hearing. Remember I talked about this a few months ago? There's a few congressmen they're targeting saying, hey, you are part of an insurrection, therefore you should be not allowed to run for office. So she's now in court defending her actions surrounding the January 6th attack on the Capitol. So um, she, this, this hearing is basically asking whether Marjorie Taylor Greene should be labeled an insurrectionist and barred from office under the Constitution. So while under oath, she insisted that, quote, a tremendous amount of fraudulent activity, end quote, had robbed former President Donald J. Trump of his reelection. That assertion, as we've talked about endlessly, has soundly been refuted by multiple courts, uh, Republican-led recounts, and Trump's own attorney general. But she said in court that she possessed no knowledge that protesters intended to invade the Capitol on January 6th. She said she did not recall meeting with any of the investigators. She said that neither her nor members of her staff had offered anyone tours of the Capitol complex before January 6, 2021, nor had they provided anyone with a map of the complex, refuting tales of a conspiracy promoted by some Democrats that she had helped the rioters plan their attack. She just says, hey, I was asking people to come for the peaceful march. Remember, before the attack happened, there was that rally that Trump had, and that was completely lawful, and most people from that did not go to the Capitol and fight the cops. So this happened after a group of constituents from her district filed a lawsuit to block her from appearing on the ballot at all uh, for her next election. So it it doesn't sound like it's going to happen. But the proceeding does let the lawyers question her under oath. So that's going on as well. And then in other kooky congressman news, Madison Cawthorn. You guys know I love to bash him a little bit. Yes, I know a lot of you like him. He's still a goofball as I've gone over extensively. But this is kind of a cheap shot. So they were circulating pictures of him in lingerie surrounded by women on a cruise ship. Did you guys see this? This just happened yesterday. And Madison Cawthorn was in these pictures. This is before he was in office. And the screenshots of the photos were provided to Politico. And uh, he's dressed in women's lingerie, chugging wine, surrounded by women. And this comes just weeks after he accused his GOP colleagues of inviting him to cocaine-fueled orgies. So, of course, if it was anybody else, this would not be a big deal. But when you put yourself up as this holier-than-thou guy, then... This it looks just as bad. Like, remember the that Republican congressman Larry Craig? He was very, very anti-gay and everything. And then they caught him fucking toe tapping in the airport bathroom with some dude trying to trying to suck off or trying to get sucked off. Yeah, so it's more. It, it definitely is more powerful when you're the guy on the up on the uh, up on the pedestal saying don't do this, and then you're the guy caught doing it. Uh, but yes, uh, it. it he, he says it was before he was a congressman, which, I mean, it's no big deal, really. It's just really to embarrass him. But it does show him sitting in his wheelchair, so that indicates that the pictures were taken after the car accident that left him paradised in uh, 2014. And he says, dude, this is part of a cruise ship game. It was no big deal, and it probably wasn't. It was. It's called the Royal Caribbean Quest Game Show. And you share your underwear and put liquid lipstick on strangers and other stupid shit. But uh, again, 
He's the conservative Christian guy, et cetera, et cetera. So, of course, the libs are having fun with it. Now, for some audio clips, let's start with Kamala Harris. She's my favorite. Let's listen to this a little bit of a montage talking about um, being unburdened. Let's uh, listen to this. That's why we're here today. Because we have the ability to see what can be unburdened by what has been and then to make the possible actually happen. (laughs) Here she is on running for president. I have to believe in what can be unburdened by what has been. This is her on impeachment. And we must always see who we can be unburdened by who we have been. This is on Governor Gavin Newsom. An ability to see what can be unburdened by what has been. What can be unburdened by what has been. To see what can be unburdened by what has been. These are all different speeches. We see what can be unburdened by what has been. Bring people to see what can be unburdened by what has been. Who see what can be unburdened by what has been. It is the ability to see what can be unburdened by what has been. Wow. Wow. That's uh, so she basically loves that line and that's her go-to line. And then I have a second Kamala Harris clip here. She is talking to people in space force. Yeah, that's right. The new fifth branch of the military. Uh, presumably they know some stuff about space, but here she is talking to them and she makes it sound she's like she's talking to like third graders. Space is exciting. It spurs our imaginations and it forces us to ask big questions. Space, it affects us all <laughs> and it connects us all. Okay, well, I'm, I'm inspired by that. Thank you for that explanation of space. Uh, Lori Lightfoot, the mayor of Chicago. Boy, she didn't really like uh, a comment from a journalist. Let's listen to what this journalist asked her, because remember, she's running for re-election. you have a press conference, you say crime is down. Uh, the economy is booming. Well, that's but not that's not true, but get your question, sir. Across the street, we had a police officer on duty, the victim of a hit and run. We have Michigan Avenue, the magnificent miles now referred to as the mile of fear. The... Water Tower Place has thrown the keys back to the lender. They say they don't want to be in Chicago anymore. Real Chicagoans are asking me, how could you possibly even consider running for re-election as mayor of the city of Chicago after all the harm you've caused? Well, I disagree with you fundamentally, um, and I don't think I need to address any and dignify your comments one second further. Next question. Oh, okay, so she's just not she's not going to answer because, of course, she's not going to answer anything like that. And then Joe Biden, he he had he made an Earth Day speech, and I think it was in Seattle. So he flew all the way from D.C. to Seattle to make this speech. And uh, we had a few good clips here. So let me start with. Oh yeah, okay. Here's yeah, here's here's the one I want to start with. Here is this, he kind of starts reciting poetry. With this executive order on Earth Day, we're also showing this moment of maximum threat and urgency can also be a moment of enormous hope and enormous opportunity. You know that we you know that we carry in heart and mind the image of the ideal place, the right place, the one true home, known or unknown, actually visionary. 
I know you all feel it. You wouldn't be sitting here and cold with your coats not on if you didn't. Uh, I didn't. I didn't understand actually half that poem. He just kind of started slurring his words a little bit, and um, here he is. He does the whispering thing again. Let's listen. By the way, I made it clear to my friends up in uh, Nantucket in that area. I don't want to hear any more about you. Don't like looking at them. <laughs> They're pretty. But seriously, it's incredible the breakthroughs that are making. Once you tell a nation that we can do this, go do it. It's amazing what happens. Oh, that was funny because, by the way, he was talking about windmills. And he was saying he's telling his friends in Nantucket who don't want to look at windmills off the coast that, like, they're pretty. And he does that whispering thing. You know what? He's not. They don't have shit to say. They're not going to be able to do anything off the coast there if the city has anything to do with it. Uh, this, this I always like. I'm just going to play this. I love the screaming women who chase the media out when Joe Biden, when, they, when they've decided Sleepy Joe's had enough. So this is when he's wrapping up a meeting with the Department of Defense. But let me just just listen to the shrieking from the handlers. Let me. Mr. <laughs> That's their whole job is just to shriek at the reporters. And then finally for the political roundup, let's turn to the orange man. Yes, that's right. Donald Trump had an interview with Piers Morgan. And uh, let let me just play this. So he ends up kind of, they say this was like deceptively edited for TV or whatever. Then he and Piers shook hands afterward, but it's still pretty funny. So let's listen to Trump and Piers Morgan. Okay, Piers, I'm ready. A former president in denial. I'll be completely straight with you. I think I'm a very honest man, much more honest than you actually. Really? Yeah. It was a free and fair. You lost. Only a fool would think. You think I'm a fool? I do now. Yeah. With excuse me. Okay. With respect. The largest producer, the harder. Excuse me. The most explosive interview of the year. I don't think you're real. Is I'm this really just? Not, I'm not like. Very dishonest. Let's finish up the interview. Morgan versus Turn Trump. Turn the camera off. Very dishonest. <laughs> okay, so that was the clip that was circulating, and it's a claim that like Trump walked out, but he can't help him. See, he's such an idiot, dude. Like, he, he, he loves talking to the media, and then they go on there. He wants to go talk to the media, and the first thing, they're like, okay, well, what about the stolen election claims? And he's like, oh, yeah, it was totally stolen. They're like, well, do you have any evidence? He's like, and he starts yelling at them, calling them fake news, and that's like his whole shtick. But for some reason, he really, really, really loves to go on these shows. And then he ends up, uh, but it's good for the media, too. They fucking love it because their ratings are horrible. So... Speaking of horrible ratings, CNN Plus, the new streaming service from CNN, has lasted, like, what, three fucking weeks? Yeah, Warner Brothers Discovery, that's the parent company of CNN, announced they were shutting down CNN Plus. It will close on April 30th for a total run of less than five weeks. (laughs) More than 300 employees work at CNN Plus. The network said it would try to transfer them to open positions. Layoffs are likely for the rest. You know how much CNN sunk into this? $300 million. And they thought they were going to have something with big name anchors, including former Fox News Sunday host Chris Wallace, who went from Fox News Sunday to CNN Plus and what must be one of the all-time boneheaded professional moves ever. And yes, this was uh, just a complete meltdown. And by the way, this Warner Brothers Discovery, uh, 
This is news. So Discovery CEO David Zaslev, he became the head of newly formed Warner Brothers Discovery, becoming the new owner of CNN after the parent of CNN, Warner Media, was sold by AT&T. This is like very fucking complex corporate shit. So, yes, it's coming. I, I probably have more people listening to the podcast than ever listen to fucking CNN+. Plus. That was fantastic. And there's not, you know, there's... The streaming itself is in trouble. And we turned to Netflix for even more because they had horrible earnings. Did you see their, their, stat, their stock completely collapsed uh, 35% in one day? Yep. Netflix said this week that it had lost more subscribers than it signed up in the first three months of the year. That reverses 10 years of steady growth. Uh, the company Netflix shed about $15 billion in market capitalization. The pain was shared across the industry as stock of companies like Disney, Warner Brothers, Discovery, and Paramount also declined. But Netflix blamed a number of issues, ranging from increased competition to its decision to drop all of its subscribers in Russia because of the war in Ukraine. Well, that was dumb. And this is this is a big deal because now, like, you see everybody has their own streaming center, right? And it's Netflix was the first, which is why it made so much money. And the questions are, how many people are willing to pay for these streaming services? Is there such a thing as too many streaming options? And could this business be less profitable and far less reliable than what this industry has been doing for the last 10 years? So, yeah, so you see Disney+, Plus, you see Netflix, the HBO Max, everything. And this is going to be very difficult. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of different options. And the other part of Netflix's big problem were password sharing, which they didn't really want to talk about a lot, but they said that this was a, that was a brutal part of it. Like people just share passwords instead of paying for their own subscription. So I don't have any love loss for Netflix because the co-chief chief executive, remember he's Reed Hastings. He's a huge Gavin Newsom fan. He devoted like millions and millions of dollars to defeat the recall. So, and then in other Stock news, Tesla, they jumped. Their profits jumped in the first quarter, but uh, they've got some challenges coming up. They had to uh, close an important factory in Shanghai because, you know, China's efforts to stamp out that coronavirus outbreak. Talked about that last week. But they said, Tesla, that they made $3.3 billion in profit in the first three months of the year. That's up from $438 million from a year earlier. That's the biggest quarterly profit since the company's creation. Yep. The revenue was $18.8 billion in the first quarter, up from $10.4 billion a year earlier. That profit significantly exceeded investor expectations. And then speaking of Tesla, how about Elon Musk? He's still fighting over that Twitter shit. Yep. He said this week that he had commitments worth $46.5 billion to finance his proposed bid for Twitter and was still exploring whether to launch a hostile takeover for the social media company. He did file documents with the Securities and Exchange Commission. He said in those documents he planned to finance the bid with a mix of debt and cash. Um, the investment bank Morgan Stanley and a group of other lenders are offering $13 billion in debt financing and another $12.5 billion in loans against Musk's stock in Tesla and then he's expected to add about $21 billion in equity financing. And the, 
they are still going ballistic on this. You guys have all, it's kind of an older story by now. I talked about it a little bit last week, but still Twitter employees are freaking out. They hate Elon Musk for some reason and uh, don't want to do it. And so maybe he will take it pri- private. We'll see. Stocks in general have done shitty. They fell for a third week. And as, as a matter of fact, yesterday, Friday, was the S&P 500's worst day since early March. And it was not great. To, I, didn't, I don't even want to look at the portfolio. But this all kind of began on f- Thursday because the central banks are going to raise interest rates by half a percentage point. So they already raised interest rates by a quarter of a percentage point in March, having held them near zero since March 2020. So that is, it might be too fast for the economy to handle. It's very, I'm not going to get into interest rates and how they work, but if you know anything about them, interest rates, basically it, it's, it's bad for stocks and it, when they increase them. So, all right, let's go to a few other stories quickly. Uh, let's do this one. Let's turn to some cannabis news. Florida wedding guests were sickened by marijuana in food, and they say the food was tampered with by the bride and the wedding caterer. Yeah, this was at the wedding of Andrew and Danya Savoboda. And soon after the meal, guests began to feel strange. One guest, an uncle of the groom, said he, his heart was racing and he was having crazy thoughts. Well, the guests at the February 19th wedding soon learned that the food included marijuana. So Ms. Savaboda, 42, of Florida, and the caterer, Jocelyn Bryant, 31, have been charged with two felonies, food tampering and the delivery of marijuana, and culpable negligence, which is a misdemeanor. They've been arrested. This is fucking weird, dude. Several of the 50 guests at the wedding reported that they felt high after eating the food at the reception. The police arrived about 9.30 that night after they got a call to assist from the Seminole County Fire Rescue. A deputy approached Mr. Savoboda and asked if he and his wife had, quote, consented or requested, end quote, cannabis in their food. He stared back before stuttering through a, quote, no, end quote. Why did they do this? Um, when she asked if Miss... Okay, uh, I see what I'm... Okay, again, poorly written here. Uh, they, they saw the caterer, Bryant, putting a green substance on the small plates, and one guest specifically asked, hey, is this weed? And Ms. Bryant then, quote, giggled, and then shook her head yes, end quote. So that guest... When she learned that she consumed food that included cannabis, she became terrified. She sent a text to herself in case she died in her car. God damn. Wow. So they've been arrested and charged. Interesting. A intruder has been killed at the Peruvian embassy, uh, ambassador's Washington house. Yes. This is the Peruvian ambassador's residence in Northwest Washington, D.C., and Secret Service officers fatally shot an intruder. They said a man in his 20s or 30s smashed several windows in the back of the residence. Um, After officers were called to the residence shortly before 8 a.m., they unsuccessfully fired their stun guns at the man who was holding a metal stake in the backyard. 
Two officers then fired their guns. Their man was pronounced dead at the scene. Uh, they don't know why he did it. They don't know why this person approached the officers with this metal stake or anything. Um, yeah, the Peruvian ambassador to the United States is Oswaldo de Riviera. He said that he was at home. And he heard the smashing and looked outside and then um, saw the man smashing windows. Two embassy employees came out and started fighting with him, and that's when they called the cops. Let's see here. A mummified body has been found at the Henry J. Kaiser Convention Center in Oakland, California. It has been identified as a man missing since 2020. A construction worker was tearing out a wall inside this on March 9th when he made a discovery of a body, a man believed to be in the late stages of decay. So... The, he actually, the remains were better preserved in the wall than they would have been if they were out in the elements. So this was, the convention center was undergoing a renovation and an autopsy was ordered and they figured out who it was because there was a serial number on a metal plate in the man's ankle and they cross-referenced the records from a nearby hospital and they found a match in Joseph Mejica who had been known to frequent... Homeless encampments in Oakland and reported missing in August of 2020. They don't know how long he was inside the wall, but they're saying it was a long time. Uh, he was seen. It wasn't that long ago. He was last seen about 8 p.m. on August 22nd, 2020. Um, they think it's possible... Because the mother, they think it's possible that this was an accidental death. Because his mother, Mahika's mother, told law enforcement officials that he occasionally tried to steal copper wire from construction sites to sell. Yup, he might have gotten stuck trying to pull something out of the wall. Mm. What else? A jury has awarded $450,000 to a man fired over an unwanted surprise office birthday party. The man asked the manager specifically to not have a party because he had an anxiety disorder. Well, he was fired. This Kentucky man, Kevin Burling, he'd been working at a medical laboratory in Covington, Kentucky. He was fired after he had a panic attack, panic attack at his workplace. Well, a jury has now awarded him $450,000. Uh, Burling's lawyer said that the party had been planned by other employees while the office manager was away and that the situation had quickly spiraled out of control. Uh, he had a panic attack after he learned about the planned lunchtime celebration. And so he stayed in his car during his lunch break. The next day, he had another panic attack in a meeting with two supervisors who confronted him about his behavior. He was then fired three days later. The company said they fired Burling because he became violent in the meeting and had scared his supervisors. Well, two months later, he, he sued them for a disability uh, rights violation, and he won a half a million dollars. All right. Let's see here. Uh, let's go to this one. Yeah, this is a sad story. A Navy junior officer, 29 years old, has died during training in Hawaii. This is Lieutenant J.G. Aaron Fowler. This is during training at uh, the Marine Corps base in Hawaii. Fowler was assigned to Explosive Ordnance Disposal Mobile Unit 1 in San Diego here. 
and he became unresponsive while participating in training at the Kaneohe Bay base, according to a statement from the Naval Expeditionary Combat Command. Navy officials did not say how the 2018 Naval Academy graduate died, but said NCIS is now investigating Navy Criminal Investigative Service. Um, yes, it's very sad. I, I did, um, basically, well, it's, it's going to come out anyway. So basically, if you guys saw, I put on Instagram a message I received about how this happened. And then I, in case you're wondering where that went, I did take it down because somebody else contacted me and they're like, Hey, I, because this, I'm just going to say it because it's going to come out anyway. Basically, this was during an open water swim and somehow he was overcome. I don't know all the details of it. That's what I've heard. And both the DMs that I got seem to say the same thing, that it was an open water swim. So I'll, I'll put it out there. Some kind of night infill or swim, ocean swim infill. And so the second guy said, hey, his swim buddy is devastated by this. Can you take it down? And I said, I, I will take it down because you asked, but I'm just telling you it's going to come out anyway. And and the same guy also asked me, like, well, who told you this? And I'm like, obviously, guys, I'm not going to tell you who tells me stuff. I, I take that very seriously. So if somebody passes something along to me in the DMs and I get lots of good tips, I'm never going to say who it came from or disclosing any identity. So don't even bother asking. But that's a sad story, and more will come out. Let's go to California again. The rapper ASAP Rocky is now out on bond after being arrested at Los Angeles International Airport, LAX, for a November shooting. Yeah, his real name is Rakeem Myers. He was arrested on Wednesday. He was arriving on a private plane from Barbados where he had been on vacation with his singer. You guys all know her, the singer Rihanna, who's also pregnant with his child. And according to multiple law enforcement sources, Rihanna was there when he was arrested. A search warrant has been executed at ASAP Rocky's house in Los Angeles. He was booked in the jail at 12.42 p.m. Bail was set at $550,000. He was released less than three hours later after posting bond. So the news is saying he, ASAP Rocky, is a suspect in a November 6th shooting near Vista Del Mar, in Los Angeles, the shooting victim told police that ASAP Rocky, who was walking with two others, approached him with a handgun on the street and then shot at him three or four times, and one of the bullets grazed his hand. The shooting had not yet been reported in the media at all. Hmm. They said, the police, that the shooting occurred after an argument between two acquaintances escalated. Why is this not... Uh I was just not in the media at all. Maybe they were just, sometimes they shush stuff up because they like to keep it quiet. But yeah, remember, but remember ASAP Rocky, remember that whole fucking thing in 2019 after he was arrested in Sweden and then Trump got involved and uh, Trump like fought for his release and then ASAP Rocky like talked shit about him afterwards. <laughs> that's Same guy. Uh, that's terrific. Uh, Colombian soldiers have been killed in a roadside bomb attack. At least six. That's terrific. Now they're using IEDs. Well, they have been for a little while. But this is the first time I've heard a vehicle got blown up by one. A hunt is underway for the attackers, but officials say they suspected something called the Gulf Clan criminal gang to be behind the attack. These soldiers were on patrol in a rural area. This is the northwestern Antioquia province. 
And last year, oh, here we go. Last year, a police mayor and his driver were also killed by a roadside bomb. Holy shit. Colombian security forces have labeled this Gulf clan as the country's most powerful criminal organization believed to have as many as 1,800 armed members. They are mainly recruited from far-right paramilitary groups. Members have been arrested in Argentina, Brazil, Honduras, Peru, and Spain. The gangs control many of the routes used to smuggle drugs from Colombia to the U.S. and as far away as Russia. Damn, it's popping off down there. The New Jersey Catholic Church Diocese has agreed to settle sex abuse claims for $87.5 million. That is to settle claims made by hundreds of people who accused clergy members of sexually abusing them. This is one of the largest such settlements involving the Catholic Church in the U.S., They actually think the ultimate payout to the plaintiffs could be substantially higher because the settlement allows for further litigation against insurance companies for the diocese and related entities like parishes and schools. And I think this is the first time such, you know, going after those entities will happen. This comes about three years after New Jersey became one of a number of states to extend its civil statute of limitations. So the people they said they had been sexually abused as children could sue. New York also did that last year. And uh, this settlement follows the 2020 bankruptcy filing by the diocese. Uh, under the settlement's terms, the $87.5 million will go into a trust and be paid out after four years to a number of plaintiffs. Does not say the. They said the average payout per person would be three hundred thousand dollars. So this is gonna, yeah, and that should like once they sue the insurance companies and everybody else involved, it, it'll probably rise even then. Um, I spoke of the Wagner Group earlier, the Russian mercenaries. Well, the French military is now saying they have videos of Russian mercenaries burying bodies near an army base in northern Mali. And they claim, the military, the French military, that this is part of a smear campaign against the French who handed um, the, this, a base over to Malian forces earlier this week. So they have satellite images, and it shows 10 Caucasian soldiers covering approximately a dozen Malian bodies with sand 2.5 miles east of the Gosi military base in the country's north. In the video, one of the soldiers appears to be filming the scene, and they do think these Caucasian soldiers are members of that Wagner group. Several tweets with pictures of the bodies have been posted on accounts that support Russia or fake accounts created by Wagner, and the tweets blame the French for the killings and the burials. Oh, I see what they're saying. Yep. But this is the first time the French are making such uh, satellite footages and uh, drone footage available because they're trying to fend off the propaganda. All right, let's talk about Johnny Depp. This was fun. Yeah, he's been going at it. He testified for three days this week in a trial over his libel lawsuit against his ex-wife, Amber Heard. He is suing her for libel, alleging that she falsely portrayed him as a domestic abuser and harmed his acting career. This centers around a 2018 op-ed that Amber Heard wrote in the Washington Post in which she made references to suffering abuse but did not name Depp. So he says he never hit Heard. He's never struck a woman. He accused her of abuse. 
And uh, there's a lot of, mo- I'm going to play some audio clips in a moment, but a lot of shit came out. Like one thing, one time Depp said during a violent argument in Australia in 2015, heard through two vodka bottles at him and one exploded. It sliced his finger to the point where bone was exposed. So he said he painted with the blood of his finger. And he, I saw another story. It doesn't say here because CBS News is too delicate. But I, I, heard, I heard that he drew a picture of a penis with his own blood of his finger, which is kind of funny. Uh, so, yeah, so let's go to some of the clips because they were pretty widely encompassing. And here is one. This is kind of a montage because Depp had a lot of fun with the defense attorneys, Amber Heard's attorneys. So uh, let's listen to this, and then I'll play some more specific clips. Here we go with Johnny Depp. texted Paul Bettany, correct? Again. Okay. So she, you, you, the Boston flight, you were drinking pretty heavily. Were you there? You ended up with a very ugly situation with Amber. Mr. Depp, with with respect, uh, trying to respect the court's time and the jury's time, that was not my question. My question was simply, you would agree, you would agree, you would agree that on... Yeah, this is this is kind of a montage of stupid music, but you get the point. Let me get into uh, some better clips here, though. Here's one where uh, Johnny Depp talked about the allegations that she made affected his career and how he felt sick Have about you it. Ever been accused of physically abusing a woman before this point? No. No. How would you describe the impact of these allegations at the time they were made? And Arnold, if you could please take this down. I've, I've, I've felt ill. I felt sick. I mean, I'm sick in the sense that. But I. There was no truth in it. There was no truth in it whatsoever. And the fact that it was coming down on me so hard. Um, and so quickly, and how it, it it gained momentum around the world. Okay, there's one. He's, you can tell he's like really fucking worked up about it. And uh, here is the audio recordings that were played for the jury where Heard was saying, um, I was hitting you, not punching you. So let's hear this. Uh, let's hear what you I can say. Travis, I said, no, I said to you. Hey, tell Travis what just happened. Oh, you told me to do it. You told me to. You said, go do that. I said, no, tell him what just happened. And I lied. And that you punched me in the fucking thing. You You figured it all out. And you said, no, fuck it. No, I didn't. What the fuck are you talking about? And I I watched you lie. I didn't punch you, by the way. I'm sorry that I didn't uh, uh, hit you across the face in a proper slap, but I was hitting you. It was not punching you. Babe, you're not punched. Don't tell me what it feels like to be punched. You, you know, you've been a lot of fights. You've been around a long time. I know. Yeah. No, I when you fucking have a close. You didn't get punched. You got hit. I'm sorry I hit you like this. But I did not punch you. I did not fucking deck you. I fucking was hitting you. I don't know what the motion of my actual hand was. But you're fine. I did not hurt you. I did not punch you. I was hitting you. How are you talking? How, what am I supposed to do? Do this? I, I'm not sitting here bitching about it, am I? You are. That's the difference between me and you. You're a fucking baby. 
Because you start. You are such a baby. Grow the fuck up, Johnny. Physical fights. I did start a physical fight. Yeah, you did, so I had because, to get the fuck out of there. Yes, you did. So you did the right thing, the big thing. The, you know what? You are admirable. All right, so that was played for the jury. So I remember when these allegate when she wrote that 2018 op-ed, everybody just crucified Depp immediately. And then a lot more fucking came out, which is probably why you should reserve judgment sometime. All right, how much time do I have left? Oh, I'm going quickly. Uh... An Illinois man inhaled a drill bit into his lung during a dental visit. Oy. In Kenosha, Wisconsin. Oh, the Rittenhouse place. Remember that? Yeah, this was a routine visit. And um, an inch-long dental drill bit lodged deep into Tom Jazzy's lung. Um, the doctors believe that inhaling just before he coughed sent the mental metal object deep into the 60-year-old man's airways. It was so deep that normal scopes couldn't reach it. So they gave him a CAT scan, and it was way down in the right lower lobe of the lung. And they were saying, well, what, what if we can't get it out? And if you can't get it out, they would have to remove part of the lung. So they decided to try a newer device, one that is not designed for removing foreign objects. It's more for early detection of lung cancer. And it's the size of a catheter, and they had video of the scan that showed the medical team was able to navigate the narrow airways of the lung, reach the drill piece, and pull it out without any harm to the patient. The drill bit was in the man's lung for four days. Dude, you're lucky, bro. Um, there's a bit of a mystery as a Russian oligarch has been found dead with his wife and daughter in an axe attack. Days after another tycoon's family was killed, the bodies of Sergei Protosenya, 55, his wife Natalia, 53, and his 18-year-old daughter Maria were discovered at their luxury Spanish villa. They're trying to figure out if it was a murder-suicide or a staged hit. This dude had a, a fucking net worth of 333 million British pounds. He did not leave a suicide note before allegedly hanging himself in the courtyard the two females had been hacked to death in their beds with an axe. In uh, This is on Spain's Costa Brava. And police found the remains after the couple's teenage son, who was in France at the time, was unable to get in touch with his family and then called the cops. Wow, dude. They checked the villa. They found, they found Protosenia hanging, I guess, outside the house. And then they found the teenage uh, daughter and the wife inside cops are probing the hypothesis that protosenia killed them both with an axe while they were sleeping that's fucking insane dude but there's some inconsistencies at the crime scene apparently the other suspicious one was a 51 year old vladislav aveyev he was found dead along with his wife yelena 47 and his 13 year old daughter maria at their home in moscow yeah uh, the bodies were inside their luxury Moscow apartment along with 13 different weapons. And they, they don't know about that one either. So a lot of fucking oligarchs from Russia turning up dead mysteriously. All right. They, there was a massive fire at Home Depot out here. One of you guys sent me this story. And this was... 
This was insane. It was a, if you saw the video, it was huge. In in a press conference, Santa Clara County District Attorney Jeff Rosen identified the suspect allegedly who allegedly started the massive fire at a San Jose Home Depot on April 9th. The blaze destroyed the entire building and caused more than $17 million in damages and lost goods. They have arrested 27-year-old Dylan Goge for the fire. And this was the funny part about it. They pointed to theft as the motive behind the blaze. So the evidence shows that the suspect who earlier that day stole items from a nearby Bass Pro Shop, lit the fire in the Home Depot, and then tried to run out of the store with a cart containing stolen tools. Oh, good one. So he started a fire in an aisle, had a cartload of tools ready, and like pretended he was like running for his life. He's facing felony arson charger charges. Um, he's got a long history of being suspected in, in, in lots of thefts here. And... Was he a vagrant? He's been assigned a public defender, they don't say. A lot of times the media won't report on that. Um, how about this? Oh, we had a, a mystery death here in San Diego. A guy became trapped in an Escondido car wash. Yeah, he fucking got out of his car in one of those drive through car washes, and he ends up being pinned against a pole by his own car. 56 years old, dude. This guy's name was... Uh, Renee Jamie. He got out of his vehicle and was pulled into part of the machinery that operates it. This is in this is at night. It's eleven forty-five PM. So I don't know, maybe he was drunk. But he drove his hatchback into this mechanized car wash and he steps out for unknown reasons and was dragged into part of the mechanism and was wedged between it and his vehicle. They found him trapped there. They were able to get him out of the fucking... They were able to get the car out, and uh, he was pronounced dead at the scene. Jesus. Yeah, don't do that, dude. What else? Exxon has banned outdoor flags, outside flags, from company flagpoles. You're like, well, what's the big deal about this? Well, the New York Times thought it very important to point this out because this would include the rainbow pride flag. Yep. The new policy allows only government flags and those representing ExxonMobil and its employee resource groups. Workers can display the pride flag and representatives of other groups like Black Lives Matter on other areas of the company's properties. However, they can now no longer have a banner. And the uh, yeah, they've they've often had pride flags and pride banners and everything else like that, but they've now gotten rid of it. And the human rights campaign is, of course, criticizing the company for its policy. And they think this is, you know, more in the long war of gay rights like DeSantis is doing, if you if you go with that um, interpretation. You remember the fake Homeland Security agents? And I was asking, um, why have they been permitted to be out on bail? Those were the fake Homeland Security agents who were uh, trying to infiltrate the Secret Service. I've been talking about them for the last cool weeks, couple weeks because this story is pretty crazy. And they, they have been, they're back in news, they have been indicted on, indicted on multiple charges, including impersonating a U.S. officer and unlawful firearms charges. And this is 40-year-old Arian Teherzadeh and 35-year-old Hader Sher Ali 
And this is after they gave the Secret Service a bunch of gifts and all that shit. And then they got raided. And then they claimed to have ties to Pakistani intelligence and all kinds of other shit. So the story is ongoing. Way more is going to come out of this. So I'll just leave it at that for a moment because I think a lot more is going to come out. A Pennsylvania man, 22 years old, appears in court after, quote, raping four-year-old twins, end quote, and spitting on photographers. 22-year-old Isaiah Metz was taken into custody. He is being accused of raping four-year-old twins he lived with after being adopted into a foster family in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Jesus. Fucking never ends, dude. Um... There was a shooting in D.C. That was uh, pretty much when that. Uh, this was like pretty much like last night, I think. Yeah, authorities say the 23-year-old Fairfax, Virginia man suspected of shooting four people, including a 12-year-old girl, is now dead. Raymond Spencer took his own life in a fifth-floor bathroom in an apartment building located in the D.C. area. This is Van Ness Street. They received a call about the shooting. The cops said around 3:30 p.m. on Friday. They, they heard what they sound like, 100 gunshots. And then apparently, just by going on social media, this dude barricaded himself in his house, and they're putting out pictures from his house, and it's got all kinds of ARs and shit like that in there. So get ready for more fucking talk about the evil weapons of war. Uh, a murderer has vowed to get woke DA of Los Angeles, George Gascon's name tattooed on his face after his charges have been reduced under sentencing reforms. Luis Angel Hernandez, I'm going to play the clip in a moment. He had he was serving time for shooting and killing a marijuana delivery guy in 2018. So he had faced sentencing enhancements for being in a gang, using a firearm, and committing murder during an armed robbery. But when Gascon took office in 2020, he imp- implemented a directive barring prosecutors from applying these enhancements. So Hernandez can be heard in a leaked phone recording saying his enhancement has been dropped and he will go free. So Gascon, I've talked about him a few number of times. He's one of these like complete lunatics who doesn't want anybody in prison. So let's go ahead and listen to the jailhouse audio. It's looking like real good. Now we got a new DA in LA, so they're gonna. Um, I got court on the 14th, fool. Right there in Compton Thursday, so they're gonna drop a gang of um like my gun enhancement, my gang enhancement, my gang enhancement's 10 years, fool, for being a gang member. And then the gun and the commission of crime. Where are you, nigga, huh? Gascon or where else? I don't get that name on my face. That's a champ right there. Gascon. That's the right there, bro. He's making historic changes for all of us, fool. You know, so I'm just grateful, fool. Like, I got good news off that. So at least now I know, like, they're like, you're coming home, blood. Like, they already told me, my lord told me, you're coming home. Great. Isn't that terrific? Yeah, and in case you couldn't understand it, say, he did say, quote, I'm going to get that nigga's face on my name on my face, yo, end quote. Fool. He sounds really fucking smart. Totally. A uh, 15-year-old boy has been arrested for allegedly setting fire to his Georgia home and killing his 10-year-old sister in, in the process. Zoe McHugh, 10, was found dead stuck inside her bedroom after a fire broke out at her family's Loganville home. Her 15-year-old brother was found safe from the fire in another location. He is facing murder charges for the fire. They are not naming the brother. 
A black DJ was accused of wearing blackface at an Arizona PTA event by woke education leaders. <laughs> this was fantastic. Yeah. 56-year-old DJ Kim Coco Hunter said he was shocked to find out about the accusations after playing at a PTA fundraiser for Hopi Elementary in Phoenix, Arizona. After the April 9th event, two officials within the Scottsdale School District sent letters of complaint to the administrators. They claimed that Hunter, who is a black man, was wearing blackface during the party. And the two who complained promote diversity and equity within the school district, and they are named Jill Lawson and Stuart Roden. These fucking goofs. And they're, so they're probably very well-paid diversity, equity, and inclusion administrators. And they looked at this black dude and said, oh, he's fucking wearing blackface. Uh, he, he said, dude, he has no idea how this happened. He went on Fox News. And he, I'm looking at his picture right now. He's definitely a black guy, and he's definitely not wearing blackface. One of the diversity and education people was a white female. Oh, and the other was a black man. So, so, the, so a black guy accused the other black guy of wearing blackface. Fucking weird, dude. Okay. Um, this was funny. A black Tennessee mayor has signed a proclamation declaring April Confederate History Month in his city while surrounded by white Sons of Confederate Veterans Group. <laughs> Livingston, Tennessee. He is the mayor, Robert Hayes. He declares April Confederate History Month. And the Sons of Confederate Veterans surrounded him. They actually uh, decry racism. Yeah, the Sons of Confederate Veterans say they, uh, they want nothing to do with racism. They're just like proud of their heritage and all. I'm looking at a picture. There they are, the black mayor signing it. And uh, six guys standing behind him, very white. And... They do face criticism, do the Sons of Confederate Veterans, for claiming that slavery was not the main issue of the Civil War. So, so this is, But this is a very funny picture, so go Google it. All right. Do I have anything um, else here that I just really have to get to? Now, this has been a slow week, you guys. I'm not going to lie. I'm surprised, actually, that I finished the entire, that I'm going to do the whole two and a half hours because it uh, almost didn't happen. Uh, let me see. Oh, I have to play this before I leave. How could I forget? Fucking goober MSNBC analyst Malcolm Nance. I've been fucking uh, crushing him on both Twitter and um, and Instagram because Malcolm Nance has decided to go over and fight for Ukraine. Of course, he will not be doing any fighting for Ukraine. He's 60 years old. He's pretty like fat and old. And there's fucking no way. So, but he's making a big deal. He goes on MSNBC. He's doing a show. He's doing a hit on Joy Reid. He's wearing like full kit. And yes, many of you guys pointed out his AK style rifle was on fire and may or may not have a bolt even in it. And he's wearing his helmet and he claims he was under attack in an air raid. And I'm like, really? So you're doing a live TV shot in the middle of an air raid with glaring lights? So let's listen. Well, to as you know, I spent quite a bit of time here in the pre-war period. And when the invasion happened, I had friends who were in Donetsk, who were in the Ukrainian army, who were writing to us and telling us, we're not going to survive tonight. We've been hit 500 times. Uh, you know, these graduates of Defense Language Institute, these were my friends. And, you know, as the more I saw of the war going on, the more I thought, I'm done talking. All right. It's time to take action here. So uh, about a month ago, I joined the International uh, Legion here in Ukraine, and I am here to help this country 
fight, you know, what essentially is a war uh, of, of, its, of ex extermination. This is an existential war, and Russia has bought it to these people, and they are mass murdering civilians. And there are people here like me who are here to do something about it. Okay, you, you're, you aren't going to do anything about it, dude. You weren't even in a combat MOS. You were like a cryptology guy. What are you going to do about it? They're not going to let you any... Well, I don't know. Maybe they will put him on the front lines for propaganda. If he does end up on the front lines, it's going to be for Ukrainian propaganda. And then if Russia ends up waxing him on the front lines, it will also be for Russian propaganda. He's just insufferably woke, dude. He's one of these guys who made his name during the Trump years, screaming about Trump and Russia. He's never apologized for any of the many, many things he's gotten wrong. And he's just a pompous ass. But of course, dude, he's fucking like Jesus to the resist people on Twitter. That's for sure. Uh, Mike Tyson beat the shit out of a guy in an airplane. <laughs> this is funny. Yeah, I watched the video. You can't really hear anything. But an unruly passenger was basically harassing him, and then uh, Tyson got tired of the, the guy's shit, asked him to be quiet, and then he started smacking a dude in the head and beating the hell out of him. So good for you. Something we all would like to do on an airplane, I'm fucking sure. Uh, dozens of people were injured in that Quran burning over in Sweden. Yeah, they had riots over there. At least 40 people were injured. And this was... Um, a riot that started when the uh, the far right over there got together and decided they were going to burn Qurans or you know, do whatever they're doing. This was a dude named Rasmus Paludan. He's the leader of the Danish far right hardline party. He planned and carried out the anti-Muslim demonstration, posting a picture of himself on social media with a burning Quran and declaring intentions of burning more. So then all the fucking Muslims got out in the street and started... Uh, Getting after it. And finally, you guys, I'm just about out of time. So I'm going to go to the big finish. And there wasn't a lot, honestly, in the big finish. So uh, I was kind of slim. Unlike last week, I had lots to choose from. This week's finish for the, the big finish material was limited. There wasn't, of course, there's always like, you know, sex predators and stuff like that. But I look for like something unique. But this is, this is kind of a unique. So how about this? Let us go to Mozambique. The Mozambican officials are detaining two men found attempting to sell severed male human genitals for $42,000 US, or in local currency, 35 million kawachas. <laughs> the, the organs were reported to belong to a man who was murdered in the, uh, basically the area, I've never heard of any of these places, so I'll just tell you by looking at the map. This is a province that borders Malawi. So the suspected traffickers are aged 29 and 32. They said, they were said to have contacted a local trader and asked him to buy, and they say plural, organs. So is this penis and testicles, or is this like, um some other internal organs. They just say severed male human genitals. So they are waiting to be taken to court. The guy, this trader, his name is Antonio Chicopa. And he said he has been since shunned by people for his role. And he says, look, I was the one who alerted the police. And he says, I do not know why today I'm being accused by people. They are still investigating the matter and they, the local police spokesman said, yes, 
they he confirms this happened. A person was murdered and his organs removed. This is real, and we are working to get details of the case. And that's a direct quote. So again, he uses the plural, organs. Would the shaft and nuts be two different organs over to a Mozambican? Or did they, like, snatch some kidneys out and put them on ice? Hmm. Very mysterious. But, guys, that's all I got for you because it's fucking hot as shit. I got these two dogs who are basically chomping at the bit to go out. I got to get out of here. Thanks so much for listening. Please go to Patreon.com. And I've gotten some good pledges lately. I want to thank you guys for going to Patreon. All you have to do is type in the search box, BK Actual. My page will come up. And please consider making a donation of a buck or two. Because, my God, it is getting freaking expensive in San Diego. Um, And please follow me on social media. At Bravo Kilo Actual on Twitter. And at BK Actual on Twitter. Instagram, and you can contact me at either one of those. And that's going to do it for me, guys. I will see you next week. Now, get by, my friend.